Welcome to Game Face episode 118 on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. And we have a very special guest with us today, the architect of Sifted, Brent Phillips. Hello. Not only that, Brent today comes bearing gifts. Last, oh, I do. You do. Last night, you, you set up Game oh, Face right. on iTunes. I was like, That's a big deal, though. Like, shit, is it Shane's birthday? <laughs> no, that was like a week and a half ago. But... Brent set up Sifted or Game Face, so it's going to be on iTunes in the very near future. We submitted it. Brent, how long does it usually take before Apple gets back to you on that? Uh, like a day. I oh, mean, okay. It, I, it has happened as soon as like two hours, and it has taken like three days. Okay. So, so they, yeah. they manually review it, so it's, it's whenever they do it. Gotcha. Well, Game Face will be on iTunes very soon. It'll be on like a four-day delay, kind of like how our Patreon is set up. Uh, once it goes live, I'll alert all you guys on our Twitter and uh, on the site to go and review the podcast. That's a yeah, big that's, deal, right? That's very, very important. Even if you don't listen to it on podcast, Pat, sorry, even if you don't listen to it on uh, iTunes, uh, leaving that review is how they rate like their current rankings. And then, like, if you get a bunch when it first starts, like when we're going to start like tomorrow or whatever, yeah. Um, then you might get featured or whatever. You know, it, it's a very big deal for how much internal promotion you get. Yeah, because we could end up being like the hot new gaming podcast for like you, a week or two. And if you're that for just like a week or two, that's uh, millions of eyes on it. So it's that's, a big deal. That is a big deal. It could really help us. So again, we'll alert you once it goes up on iTunes. And hopefully you guys can all pitch in and uh, go over and review and say very nice things. Yeah. <laughs> I guess, I don't know. I, I think overall we'll probably end up getting a good review out of the gate because it'll be our fans that are handling it. But yeah. but ultimately it will probably come down over time. <laughs> you get the bitter internet mob in there who will disagree yeah. with like one thing we say in a three-hour show and be like, I hate this, I hate this. <laughs> There's going to be definitely some of that. <laughs> you can do about That's it. the interweb. So anyway, we have Brent with us today. Uh, probably should tell you why Brent's here. Uh, Matt ended up going and getting a second opinion on his medical issue and actually went yesterday and had a procedure done. He is down and out for today. And in fact, it appears that he is going to have his major procedure that he's been kind of waiting on next week. So Matt is going to be out for a while. Um, if you guys get an extra minute, I recommend going on Twitter and maybe wishing him well. Um, I think he's M. Kyle something or other. Actually, pop up the other uh, Chiron so they can see it, so they can go and there you go. Yeah, just M. Kyle. It's not me. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a minute, go and wish Matt well. Um, anytime someone goes there through something go. like <laughs> anytime someone goes through like something like this, uh, support means a lot, and I know Matt would really appreciate it from you guys. So wish him well. He is going to be out for a few weeks, so we are going to have guests rolling here for the next month or so, which is exciting. We're going to have new people on the show, some new perspectives, which is good. So Brent, welcome. Thanks. You ready to do this? I am. Let's do it. All right. So it is slow as hell in video games right now, but uh, there's enough cultural stories, I think, to kind of prop up the show for the next few weeks. Hopefully the games start coming out. We are going to talk about one game towards the end of the show today, but for the most part, we're going to talk about general topics today. And probably the, the biggest topic related to games that isn't just kind of within our little hive of hardcore gamers uh, is the fact that games are under attack again by the government. Um, after the horrible shooting in Florida, people were kind of looking for someone, something to place the blame on. And the, the word scapegoat comes yeah, to mind. Yeah, 
deflection, deflection, like the graphic says. Um, And what's happened is that Congress, several congressmen have come out and said that they think violent video games are to blame for the kids because the GOP is essentially trying to say anything other than the guns, anything but the guns. So it's saying it's it's a mental health issue. It's media that's causing the problems and making kids go crazy. Um, things have actually gone so far this week that a GOP congressman, not congressman, he's like a state congressman, I believe, okay. from Rhode Island, has proposed a tax on M-rated games. So if you buy an M-rated game, you pay an extra $10 for that game. Jesus. So things are going freaking haywire right now. And I know video game violence, or, or video, does it cause violence in the real world, is a topic that's been discussed a bunch of times. We've done it on this show before. We did it on Invisible Walls probably a hundred times. Uh, lots of podcasts have talked about it, but we haven't talked about it for a while. And yeah. so every time this comes up, I try to go back and look at research. A great job with the footage there, Sam. <laughs> every time something like this happens, I go back and look and see if there's new research. And because sometimes I, I, I'm like, okay, well, maybe the politicians have actually found a new study that's different, or there's now a definitive determination from psychologists psychologists and psychiatrists that it actually does affect behavior and in fact a lot of the politicians over the last week or so have been saying oh there's these new studies and this study says that there is a link between gaming violence and violence in the real world so i went out and started digging around i actually did some freaking research for game face believe it or not um and essentially the study that uh that the gop is pointing to is from a study in august of 2015 Uh, So it's a few years old, not quite, two, two and a half years or so. Um, And what that study found from by the American Psychological Association was that the research demonstrated a link between violent video game use and both increases in aggressive behavior and decreases in pro-social behavior, empathy, and moral engagement. Um, And then the American Academy of Pediatrics in July of 2016, so an even more recent survey, um, said that um, video games should not use human or other living targets or awards pointing for killing or, or award points for killing because this teaches children to associate pleasure and, and success with their ability to cause pain and suffering to others. So that's not really a study. That's more, in my opinion, that's more of an opinion. Also, just to couch the, the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics, there's the, they're the ones that like the, the main thing that they comment on is for parents is like screen time. Right. And, like, every year they just, they make it, like, worse and worse, saying the screen time changes your brain. And it's like, of course it does. That doesn't yeah. necessarily mean it's bad. Right. Um, so it could be for the good. And the, well, <laughs> If you're and, living in 2018. Right. I mean, and there's a case to be made that, you know, there's absolutely too much of it. And screen time in yeah. lieu of spending time with your kids, of course, that's detrimental. It's terrible. But yeah. it's not necessarily the screen time is the problem. It's the not spending time with your kids is the problem. Right. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, is that, like, these guys are super hardcore, like, they're almost one of those parent associations that, like, does this. They just want your kids to go and play in the park every day. They're very unscientific, is how I feel about it. They're they're acting on feeling instead of fact, is what you're saying. They, I feel like they cherry pick um, data to support whatever they feel. Where, do you know where their funding comes from? That's what you always no. got to do. You always got to follow the money because yeah. that's where, where, why you'll figure out where that opinion is coming from. Uh, so that'd be interesting. Maybe somebody can uh, Google it and figure out where their funding comes from. 
I wouldn't be surprised if it came from the GOP, in all honesty. At least somewhat government. Yep. Um, and so overall, between those two studies, uh, the summary of the results was that uh, it revealed a significant link between being exposed to violent media in general and aggressive behavior, aggressive thoughts, and angry feelings. Uh, so anytime this stuff comes out and people start pointing to studies like this, other scientists start to do their own studies or they start pointing to other studies that contradict that. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Whitney DeCamp, he's an associate professor of sociology at West, Western Michigan University. Um, he said that sure, some studies have revealed a connection between kids playing violent games and violent behavior. Uh, but there's a problem with looking at those two things in a vacuum. Uh, kids who like to play brutal video games may have a predisposition towards aggression already, he said. Right, it's not necessarily causal. Right. It's like if you like violent stuff, then yeah, you're going to like violent you're video gonna like games. Violent but video playing games. violent video games doesn't necessarily make you violent. Exactly. Um, let's see. And then, then he did his own study at, from... Uh, this study is from 2008, though, so it's older, from a, a Delaware school survey, which uh, included responses from 6,567 students um, that were eighth graders. So old enough to play at least semi-violent games, not old enough to yeah, buy an M-rated game yet. old enough that they are playing M-rated but shouldn't be, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, DeCamp factored out the propensity to play violent video games due to natural attraction to brutality along with other factors such as gender and family relations. I discovered that playing violent games, no matter how bloody, did not predict violent behavior. Um, and then another professor, uh, Christopher Ferguson, associate professor and co-chairman of the Department of Psychology at Stetson University, supported the same view. Um, he goes so far as to, as to suggest that violent games may help reduce societal violence rather than increase it. And here's his quote, basically, by keeping young males busy with things they like, and this would include everything from playing sports and collecting stamps to playing first-person shooters, you keep them off the streets and out of trouble. Yeah. Um, and then he added that newer studies with better methods have typically failed to find much evidence of a connection between brutal games and even minor aggressive acts, let alone violence. Um, and then there's a study from February 2016 uh, which looked at violent criminal offenses in the weeks after the release of popular violent video games. Uh, tracking both sales and crime rates, the authors discovered that general societal violence decreased in the weeks after the appearance of a new <laughs> additional, uh, of a new popular title. I like that. So that, I mean, it totally backs up what he's saying, that it's actually keeping kids out of trouble because they're not out in the streets being hooligans. They're inside playing at video games where they're safe and they're safe from harming others. Um... And that both, both professors are saying that obviously this doesn't rule out longer-term effects. That's the thing. No one really knows what the long-term effects are because these studies have been only been done in the last 15 years max. Yeah. Um, so that is kind of a caveat. Um, but both professors ultimately say that they, they view games as, as having cathartic effects, uh, allowing players to safely release their aggression instead of actually building it up. Um, and then Ferguson goes on to say... Uh, that he has skepticism for the other for the other studies, and said that a group of 238 scholars asked the American Psychological Association to retire its outdated and problematic statements on video game violence. So, 238 scholars have when come out. When did that happen? Uh, that happened. I just meant was that recent or was that 2008? 
No, it was in 2017. Okay. So in last year, a group of 238 scholars asked the American Psychological Association to retire its outdated and problematic statements on video game violence. So who do you believe here? I mean, because what you have is you have these kind of parental groups who are, in some cases, making leaps of logic, not even using data to put these messages out. And then you have the people who are actually relying on studies saying that we cannot find any causal link between games and real violence. Who do you believe? Do you believe the people who use data? Or do you believe the people who are just like, yeah, I think that's... If, if you'd asked me three years ago, I would have said it's ridiculous. But like, I don't know. My kids watch a show where people like karate kick people and they run around karate kicking everybody. Like, yeah. It's not crazy to assume that people see stuff and then act on it. But to imply that it's making you into like a more violent person is crazy like i i'm i'm much more apt to believe that it's getting that aggression out like uh, i mean like it, it's hard to remember when you're a teen but like jesus is so frustrating like uh you have no control over your life like uh, i don't know maybe you, you didn't make a sports team or whatever and like you don't know how to handle your feelings because you're like 13 and like it's so easy to get angry about stuff and then you and have this out. game where a, you can be good at it, and B, you have full control over that world, and yeah, you can get out some of that aggression. Like, I totally believe that that's a, that's a positive factor on that kid's life versus just taking that aggression and not knowing how to deal with it. And another stat that I came across that I wish I had actually, I wish I could quote, I did not include it in my notes, was that they went back and looked at mass murderers and what percentage of those people actually played games at all or played violent games and i don't have the exact figure here but it was extremely low like low less than 20 percent of mass murderers ever played video games let alone violent video games uh this latest the shooter in florida did not play games at all um mental health certainly is an issue i mean that is certainly a problem but this kid is he was adopted he his mother died like three months ago he had no one left he was schluffed onto some other family who instituted these rigid rules he had been a problem for years leading up to that had been expelled from school kid never played games he just had psychological issues and uh i feel like once again video games are becoming the scapegoat because people don't want to deal with what the the real problems are because they're not easy problems to solve no and and they're an easy scapegoat because a lot of the a lot of the voters are of an age where they didn't play games when they were little or the games that they did play were like Mario and stuff. So like they, they never experienced violent video games in that way. And so they're just like, yeah, whatever. Tax them. I don't care. Then you wonder how, how much sincerity there is in this. Is this false outrage? Because the GOP is receiving a ton of money from the NRA. I mean, that's really what it's coming down to. And, and yeah. in order for things to change in our country and actually deal with what the real issue is, in a lot of people's estimation, um, I mean, you would have to, to stop accepting that. Or they wouldn't even be there to stop accepting it. The NRA would just stop giving it because suddenly these politicians who they were essentially bribing to make sure that gun control laws are never passed, well, if they bail on that initiative, then what's the point of the NRA giving them money? So, again, like I said earlier, always follow the money. If there's something going on that you can't understand, always follow the money. And not just in this case, but pretty much anything in life. That's how it works. If there's something that comes up and you're like, man, why in a million years would that decision be made? I can guarantee you it revolves around money in some way. And then you have the town hall where the kids 
ask one of the senators, like, can you tell me right now you won't take any more money from the GOP? And he was just like, I won't tell you that. I am taking money or take money from the NRA. Yeah. He's like, I'll tell you that. I am taking money from the NRA. Um, so it's what it's a shame that it, for whatever reason, games and movies and television are always a scapegoat for this. It is the easiest answer. And they go to it time and again, no matter how many, how much data there is, how many studies there are, no matter how many times it's been debunked, it's this easy thing to go back to. And again, I agree with you. I think it's because, at least on the GOP side, they know that a large portion of their base is older. They're yeah, they people in their 60s and 70s who never played video games. And a lot of them hate video games because they think they're this weird distraction that they don't understand. And it's a waste of time when kids could be reading a book or whatever. And it's easy for them to do this, to put it on games, because a lot of their base are like, yeah, that's right. Like, I've always hated those things and I don't get them. And that's got to be part of the problem. And yeah. it's, it's a very... Well, the it's also, it's more nuanced than that. Like, to say that uh, playing violent video games when you're of a formative age might skew how you view morals, like... Maybe. Absolutely. I don't know. I, no, is I absolutely going, would agree with that. Is it going to lead to you shooting up a school? No. Well, it's just like this week, Trump is in a press conference. He goes, you know, we should probably look at, like, rating systems for video games and movies. <laughs> like, what planet have you been living on? We've had ratings for both of those for decades now. I mean, and, and the thing is about the, the tax on M-rated games is I think... That's insane. Really, that's really inappropriate. If you want to be stricter about who can buy M-rated games and be stricter about... You know, punishments for selling to underage kids, like, fine. I think the rating system has a point to be there. I agree. But to raise taxes on violent video games is, uh, really is a First Amendment violation. They're going to hit, they're immediately going to get sued as soon as they do that. Think about this. Suddenly, the ESRB becomes the gatekeeper to revenue. I know, that's, that's bananas. That is absurd. Suddenly, these gamers who sit in Philadelphia at the ESRB's office... Which could is not a government institution right, at all. at all. Could control whether a game is a success or not. Because think about it, if you're asking 10 extra dollars for a game, that's a harder sell. Yeah. And suddenly, that game that's borderline teen or M, you give it the M... I mean, it just opens the door to all kinds of shady I mean, stuff. They would, they would, they would pull the game back and then change it. it then right, release. it could amount in games not being censored per se, but being self-censored by publishers saying, "Well, we don't want this to get an M rating. So this yeah. scene or that scene that you have a problem with, we're just going to cut it out or we're going to dial it back." It starts messing with the art of video games. There's so much wrong with this story, and you know I've talked about this so many times, and I never get less passionate about it. I never will. Like it's, yeah. and I think what a part of it is that it happens once every like year or fourteen months or whatever, and it just lets that anger die down inside me just enough. So when it happens again, I get it just gets stoked up and I get all fired up about it again. But it's yeah. asinine. So you made a great point when you walked in today. What what did you say? You said that's funny because these same video games, movies, and TV shows are also being aired in every country around the yeah. world. Why are we the ones that have 20 people getting killed in five minutes? Like, Why is it very, not happening? It's a very easy answer. Why is it not happening anywhere else? <laughs> everyone else All the, everything's the same. <laughs> but we're the ones who have mass shootings, literally, like on a weekly basis. It's not the games. There's some other factor. And depending on your stance on guns, you're going to say it's one thing, you're going you're to say it's another. And look, I... I've made a point on this show to 
not get political on Game Face. And we don't just generally talk about Trump or any of the other crazy stuff that's going on. We'll only talk about this stuff when it's related to games. And I hope you guys have appreciated that over the last two years that we've tried to keep politics out of Game Face. But when politics starts sticking their business into games, that's when we're going to talk about it. And, yeah. I'm, and I'm not going to pull punches when I do discuss it. I'm not going to dance around and not share my real opinion on something because I may offend somebody who is a Republican. I'm just not. This is how I feel about it. Take it for what it's worth. I did use data to back up my arguments. I'm not just sitting here flailing around about it. So um, GOP, stay out of games. Leave us alone. Like, we don't need you. We've been going along fine. We have a rating system. We were proactive in creating a rating system before you demanded it. Granted, it was smart to do that because you don't want to let the, want to let the government yeah, do yeah, that yeah. in the first place. But the industry has been very responsible in trying to keep these games out of kids' hands. If there's really a problem, if you ask me, it's that retailers need to be held more accountable. They, there needs to be maybe something put in place where parents cannot buy M-rated games for their eight-year-old kid. Like a kid should not be an eight-year-old kid should not be playing Grand Theft Auto V. He should not be playing Call of Duty. But we all know that just put on your headset once playing any of these games, yeah. you figure out very quickly. There's a lot of parents out there that are more than willing to give their kids whatever game they want so that they don't have to be a parent. Yeah. And I've had an issue with that. I've talked about that many times when discussing this topic is that a lot of times it comes down to the parents not being parents. And that's the problem. And you brought that up earlier, that it's parenting. And it's their job to make sure their kids aren't playing this stuff and that they're a part of their lives with just screen time in general, as you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Monitoring how much time they spend with screens, uh, what they're actually consuming when they are spending time with screens. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be so quick to to blame the parents in this either because like you get into the situation where your kid comes to you and he says all my friends are playing grand theft auto which is probably true can i play it too and you're you a parent what will you do when that happens i'm gonna buy him grand theft auto you are i would much rather him be associate uh, be uh shown violent video games early than be like left out at school i think really? that's so much fucking worse especially as a contributing factor to shooting up a school i think actually it is probably a bigger thing and like because i have if, a feeling that that is one of the big triggers for this kid in florida yeah, the, is problem the fact that he was ostracized from the yeah. social circles at school people thought he was weird he had a bad home life that all coalesces into anger well it, you know i it's not that um I just, like, totally lost my train of thought. Well, you were talking but... about how you're willing to buy your kid Grand Theft Auto, which I'm surprised to oh, hear. Oh, oh, okay. Well, so, it's not that I want him to, but I would rather... Uh, of those two evils, it's I would rather be included. The, the problem isn't that I'm getting letting my kid play Grand Theft Auto. It's that all the parents are. And so, you're right. It's on the retailers. It's on the console manufacturers to, like, just enter an age for the kid when you set up the console... Uh, or when you put in the credit card, like, that the kid's probably not going to be the one doing it. And just say, like, this is only usable for this. And it's a better parental controls on consoles. Yeah, and, or just get to the point where they can't even purchase it. And then it's not, like, making the parents the bad guys is a bad situation for the parents in every way. Because half the parents will just be the good guys because they don't care. So it puts all the actual good parents in this position where they have to decide about... Do I get in a fight with my kid over this? Do I screw my kid out of being part of the group? Because, like, I mean, you want to say that every day in school kids aren't going to school and talking about player unknowns battlegrounds every fucking day? Like, yeah. of course they are. And, like, if you, like, don't let your kid play, then they're left out. And, like, 
that that sucks. To me, that is worse. But, but if none of the root problem it, though is that, but if none of them could have bought it in the first place, right? That's the issue. But you were never going to make the shitty parents more responsible, and there's too many shitty parents. It is at least fifty percent are just not not investigating this at all. Do not care. They say, "Here's your game. Leave me go alone. To your, go to your go room. to your room and leave me alone." Yeah, I mean the console has become the babysitter du jour uh, in 2018. It's been going on for a long time. In all honesty, yeah, that that's not new. Yeah, I mean, actually, it probably happened. My dad was probably doing the same thing I, I when was, he bought me an Atari Twenty Six Hundred. I mean, I was babysat by Saved by the Bell. It's, it's yeah. no different, you know. <laughs> it was just a lot less violent. Yeah, so more douchey. I mean, the one thing I will say that's really impressed me from this past week is the kids rising up. Yeah, and that is something like this is not. This is neither the first nor the last school shooting, but this is the first time that we've had this kind of response. Yeah, from the kids themselves. And that's heartening that something it, might actually change this time. I mean, let's be honest. Like, these kids have grown up playing video games, spending a lot of time with their screens. In a few years, these kids are going to be voters. And I think... If they're not, if they're not already in 2018 right. and definitely in 2020. So. And, and I think as time goes on, we are going to see this discussion less and less. This issue where they're trying to deflect blame towards media or games or movies and film or whatever. Um... And I think over time, as some of these, and I hate to call them like old fogies or whatever, but that's kind of what they are, um, they're going to die. And they're going to go away, and their way of thinking is going to go away, and it's going to be replaced by Generation X, Generation Y, the millennials who have a different perspective on gaming and uh, entertainment in general. And uh, I think ultimately, though, the best point was the one that you've made, is that why does the rest of the world play the same games, watch the same movies, watch the same TV shows, and don't have this problem in America that what America has with mass shootings. That, so, yeah, that's that's a really hard, uh, really logic, hard to refute. logic thing to get around about. Like the one difference is strict gun laws, and it's like, yeah, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, but again, I love shooting guns. I, yeah, I own some, I do too. but I would outlaw every one of them if I could. Yeah, yeah, I've and had then, some very interesting. And I, again, I don't want to go into like this turn to turn into a gun debate or whatever because sure. we need to keep it on topic towards games. But I've had some very very interesting discussions with uh, with gun nuts over the last like week on social media. But, but that's kind of why I think the discussion around games is so problematic is because it gets blamed for stuff like this, which it's not guilty for. But it might be guilty for lesser stuff. Like it yeah. might be guilty for kids being more aggressive in school and like. No one's allowed to take that nuanced approach to it because as soon as there's any study linking that in any way, it's like, well, this is why we have school shootings. It's yeah. Like, no, that's... Well, I think we've all seen what you said. Like, but like, your kid bullying? watches a karate movie and he runs around and starts karate chopping people. Because he's not old enough to, to right. have the, but once you, the karate once, power. Right. <laughs> but once a, kid, once a kid gets over 12 or 13 years old, you don't do that anymore. Like, you don't see something and then all of a sudden start running around your living room doing it. That's something that kids do. And I think maybe that's one place where our opinions might divert a little bit on this. Is I, I mean, like, I don't think your kids should be playing Grand Theft Auto, and and I no, understand you, that you, you found a, a reason why. But do you think a twelve or thirteen year old that plays GTA Five and sees the morally despicable characters therein doesn't go and be a dick at school? Like, if that's what he plays every day when he comes yeah, home I think for a few will, hours, yeah. like uh, that's hard to. Ref- yeah, it, it is definitely a possibility. So, I mean, like, yes, I think it should be regulated. No, I don't think... It definitely shouldn't be taxed more. Yeah, that's bullshit. that's insane. <laughs> but, like, you could regulate the sale of M-rated games in a way that is not 
uh, violating the First Amendment and yeah. all kinds of crazy shit. Or but. completely screwing up the entire gaming industry for that matter. Yeah. So. Just, just the tiniest bit of foresight. You suddenly can the ESRB is like... They're like the gatekeepers to revenue suddenly. Yeah. And could be dictating the creative in games, which is insane. Which, to be honest, happens probably a little bit anyway. Because sure. I'm sure the publishers look at, okay, how much does an E-rated game sell? How much does an E-10 game sell? How much I does mean, it's a just like movies. You, when you release an R-rated movie versus a PG-13, you're, you're committing to making less money. Yeah. Because there's just less people that can watch it. Yep. But sometimes you do it for the art. I mean, that's right. the piece of art that you wanted to create and you don't want to compromise. Some will, some won't. But when you start adding an extra $10 onto the sale of an M-rated game... Yeah, that, that's not a percentage change. That's like, oh, we're dead in the water. Yeah. Because no one's going to be like, oh, which game should I get? This one for 60 or this one for 70 What the hell? And yeah. like, that's, that's insane. So... Well, there it is. Once again, we've discussed violence in video games affecting people in the real world. Hopefully, we don't have to discuss this again for another 14 months or whatever, but it just seems to be the easy way out for people to try to make up excuses for why bad things are happening, and anytime yeah. a kid is involved for whatever reason. Notice nobody brought this up when the Vegas shooter shot up Las Vegas. Well, I was like, is dude playing Doom? No, he's he's sixty some years old. Like they just <laughs> always assume with kids, it's going to be the video games that are getting yeah. them to act out. So this story probably isn't over. This is something that's going to probably be brought up for the next three weeks until something else happens because it'll probably happen oh, there, again. There will definitely be states that pass draconian bullshit. Yep, um, like the Rhode Island thing in the past. In it the hasn't passed yet, months. by the way. It's just been proposed. No, but the, but there will be things. Yeah, sadly. All right, let's move on. Let's talk next about The Last of Us Part Two. So this week it was announced. It wasn't even really announced. Um, Neil Druckmann, who's basically the de facto spokesperson for Naughty Dog, went on Twitter, and he was in the mocap studio doing mocap for The Last of Us Part Two. And lo and behold, there was a pooch. A mocap dog. With a little mocap doggy with the mocap balls all over him. And a basically announcing, hey, there's going to be a companion in The Last of Us Part Two, As you guys probably know by now, the Last of Us Part Two, you play as Ellie. Uh, you do not play as the main protagonist from the Joel. first game, Joel. Um, so it's going to be Ellie and her dog. First of all, to start, the, what we want to talk about is companions in games in general. Is it something that we like? Is it something that we dislike? What are the good parts of having a companion in a game? What are the bad parts of having a companion in the game? First of all, generally, do you enjoy games that have... Where you have a sidekick or a companion? It's funny. I like games that have pet companions, but I hate having, uh, like, regular people. Like a human? Yeah, like, I like dog meat and Fallout or, I guess, his, what was his name? Dog in Half-Life yeah, 2. Yeah. The, the robot <laughs> and stuff like that. But, like, the girl in Bioshock, like, th that's one of the better implementations of having a person come around with you. She never got in your way. All she could possibly do was help you out when you needed ammo and stuff. And I still just wanted her to go away. Yeah. Um, I think what happens is when you have humans involved, there's always going to be an escort mission. Well, it's just going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and to me, you know, you have that issue of, like, we're not interacting like people interact because we can't. Right. Not but yet, like, anyway. me and this dog, like, the dog's just going to trot around and, you know, maybe I'll pet him or feed him or whatever. And, like, that interaction is perfectly replicated inside the video game. Yeah. There's no shattering of belief. But every time there's, like, a person with you... They always get, like, stuck in a door or... Well, I think the, you know, the first Last of Us is a good example of that. In my opinion, it kind of ruined the game. Because you had 
the your companion just running out in broad daylight because there's like stealth in that game where you need to hide from the enemies. It's a big part of the game. Well, I think they made it. They couldn't trigger them. Isn't that right? Yeah, I mean they would they just couldn't get run you out. caught, but it would look right. stupid as a yeah, it's ridiculous. Is like hiding next to a zombie? And, the, and your partner's <laughs> running out in the middle of the zombies, and the zombies just like Urgh. like literally <laughs> that kind of ruined the game for me. So. In, with this game in particular, The Last of Us Part Two, it makes me nervous that they're going to have a companion again the way they did in the first game because for me, it was one of the really big dings on the first Last of Us. Um, my biggest issue with having a companion is what I, I just mentioned. There's always an There are always escort missions where you have to follow and protect this other character that is controlled by AI. And this goes back to what you were saying they have not managed to replicate human behavior in a video game character yet, unless you're the one controlling it. And so inevitably, there's these awkward moments where they get caught on pieces of the geometry, their pathfinding isn't perfect, or they get caught on like an enemy. There's always something that happens. To be fair, Naughty Dog is pretty good at that. Um, And your proof is? Because we were just talking about, well, I guess. But we were just talking about The Last of Us, about how it was terrible there. Right, but when did The Last of Us come out? Wasn't that like... 2014? I don't even know. It's been several years. I don't, I don't know. I, yes. I have faith. Yeah. Uncharted 4's people that went around with you were good enough that I'm not worried about the dog in Last of Us 2. That's a good point, actually. I, you're, you're right. Uh, but then... In general, yes, they screw it up all the time, but it Naughty Dog gets a bit of a pass from me because I think they can do it. But here's another caveat, though. There is a difference between having a human AI character versus an animal. Because there are positives to having a human AI character because if it's a cover-based game where you take cover, it's sometimes easier to make them act more natural than an animal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially because, in a cover shooter. Like, right. All just they have to cover do is just run up the cover <laughs> and <laughs> pop out every once in yeah. a while and fire their guns, and that's good enough. But when you have a, an animal running free throughout the game, there are so many chances for it to just be awkward or weird. But or really, that dog should be shot very quickly. Oh yeah, because yeah. the dog has no mode other than attack. So he'll jump on the first guy, second guy shoots dog. That's the end of the dog for you. It absolutely does, and that shatters realism a lot in games. The pet again, it's just like The Last of Us. The pet's running around all over the place. It's like biting people. No, they never try to kill the dog. <laughs> They're just like, whatever. I got this dog biting my leg. Like I'm just gonna let him keep that biting seems, me. While that I- seems fine. You're like, oh, <laughs> this dog has got my legs. What can I possibly do with my AK-47? But uh, but he, again, the, the flip side of the argument as well with animals is that a lot of times they can impart a lot of emotion into a game yeah and i'm already guessing that there's going to be a scene where the dog gets maimed or it gets caught in a trap or the dog dies they're an easy plot device for games yeah they're they're emotional uh triggers there it's, yeah it's funny we were talking about um shadow of the colossus and um I told uh, Brandon Jones that I was had started playing Shadow of the Colossus, and he's like, oh, yeah, man, that ending's so sad. And I was like, hmm, main <laughs> character can't die. The only other character is that girl who the whole point is, oh, my God, the horse. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm well, like, there's, like, no characters in the game. <laughs> it's like, he totally ruined left, it. And you're like, no, the, the horse, no. And he's like, yeah. Yeah, the horse, man. And he I'm totally sorry everybody who hasn't played it, but... And now you've ruined it for everybody it, else. It has now been, like, 15 years or something. I think, <laughs> yeah. I think it's okay. I think you get a pass on that one. Uh, but it is a very cheap plot device for yeah. video games. And I'm not a dog person, per se. I grew up with dogs, and I 
you know, I know I know what the advantages and disadvantages are of having a relationship with a dog and loving dogs. Um, but it still gets me. Like when yeah. the dog dies or is hurt, like I in a lot of ways I feel worse than when the humans get hurt. Well, the humans were there because they wanted to be. The dog was there because he loves you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he died because you brought him here, yeah. not because he thought it was a good idea to infiltrate this base or whatever you're doing. Right, right. He's just <laughs> your you killed friend. that dog. Yeah, yeah. That's why that sucks. Yeah, I think you're right. And then why are there never cat companions? Like there is in Monster Hunter hey, World. I got a cat companion. He's highly effective in Monster Hunter World. Yeah, yeah. But why are there always dogs, never cats? Because they're they actually have a chance at like following <laughs> in order. Because cats don't give a crap. They'll no, just cats, run off and do their own thing. They're not going to follow you. Around. Never going to attack when you tell them to. Yeah, they're not going to follow you either. They're going to go off and like go hunt a mouse or something. No, that's the Stupid. most unbelievable thing about Monster Hunter. Yeah. So are you are you excited that there's going to be a companion in? The Last of Us Part Two. Does that make you want to play the game more or less? Uh, probably a little bit less because of the why isn't this dog been shot by the bad guys thing? Like having any sort of permanent companion, like Bioshock, or I mean, we're guessing this dog is a permanent companion. Maybe it's right. Just, it could just be maybe for they're a just getting levels. dog animations in general. I don't. I don't yeah. know. But like you know, like the dogs you get in Fallout or something like that dog could die. Yeah, it, it was not invincible, would. and so it's like, well, shit, you should have protected your dog, man. And like that to me actually added something to the game, as opposed to this just invincible furry thing that runs around grabbing people's ankles and making them easier to shoot. I'd much rather um, something that could die, even if that means they probably will within twenty minutes. Then, do you like having to account for another character in games? Kind of it having kind of that depends. thing it's, in the back of your mind where you always have to kind of think it's about funny. it. It's funny, your B-roll here is like all the worst escort missions of all time. <laughs> like you had that golden eye thing. Yeah. And, the, uh, and so like... In but it general, has Bioshock in general, no, as well, which is great. But like, you know, some of the Alex Vance stuff in Half-Life 2 is really good. It and is, yeah. Like it has been done well. It's just normally not. Yeah, that's the problem. It's like... Too many bad apples have spoiled the whole barrel, I think, yeah. at this point. So, like, on in a vacuum news that there's going to be a some sort of permanent companion in a game, like, that's bad news. But it doesn't have to be. It, it could be a positive. Who knows? Far Cry coming up has a dog as well. Is it a permanent dog? It is, absolutely. Oh, okay. it's a huge part of the game. Yeah. Maybe I can leave him somewhere so he doesn't get hurt. Yeah, in fact, IGN <laughs> is doing a bunch of exclusive coverage of it, and I believe today's piece that they put up is all about the dog. Oh, it's yeah. literally like a 10-minute developer dog just about the dog. <laughs> developer dog. Yeah, developer dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's going to be a big part of that game. And I start thinking back to, like, Navi from Ocarina of Time, and that's a very divisive sidekick. Like, a lot of people thought that Navi was really annoying. and It was her voice that was annoying, though, not, like, I loved her it, as a hey, character. listen! Uh, you hear that enough times, you're like, okay. <laughs> did, you, did you just need a selective volume, Navi, to just... Do you think because that game was so popular that a lot of people associate having a sidekick with that game, and maybe that's why a lot of people were sour on the concept? I don't know. I Honestly, I would have said, like... Goldeneye and Resident Evil were were more uh, responsible for that bad uh, bad image than than Navi. Like Navi's yeah. annoying, but she doesn't get in your way. Yeah, she, she also doesn't, doesn't really do she much. She doesn't of end missions for you by being an idiot. You yeah, know? but she also doesn't really help much. 
No, she, she's just she there could be as, doing a lot more. She's than she basically did. like the Hyrulean PDA, like you, the Hyrulean smartphone. That's yeah. all she is. She helps you target. Right, yeah. Oh, you're right, yeah. And she did point out some like hidden stuff here and there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like Navi. I don't understand the hate for for Navi. She's she's not the best. Yeah. And in Resident <laughs> Evil 4, my least favorite part of the game is the one scene in the castle where you have the sniper rifle and she's slowly walking along that platform <laughs> and you have to like keep shooting the Ganados or whatever as they come to attack her. Like uh, to me that's a almost a peerless game, but that is the one part except of for the, that one part. Yeah, except for that one part. Yeah. And that happened well, to be And it's like, you know, it's like stealth games where if you get found out you have to restart the mission kind of stuff. It's yeah. like don't put in single points of failure, which your companion dying is always a single point of failure in these games. And so it's like, now I have to restart because she was an idiot and couldn't get cover or yeah. can't handle a gun or whatever, you know? Yeah. If you have capable sidekicks, then sure. But... They're usually not very capable. No, they're usually not. Especially whenever you have a um, an escort mission. It's just the worst. Folks in the chat, do you guys like companions in games? Just yes or no. No maybes. No sentence-long replies. Just yes or no. I want to see what you guys think about this, because... There's no way. You, you think they're gonna, all going to say no? Yeah, they hate them. We'll see. There's a delay here. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. No, wow. there's one no. Oh, here we I, go. I, I got a here couple comes of those. Oh, it's almost all yeses. It's mostly yeses. Yeah. See, sub-level, you're cheating. I said no sentences. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, day is zero. I have like three paragraphs to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's the question? <laughs> so it looks like most people actually enjoy. All right. I'll say one thing. In games where the mechanics are, aren't especially complex, it, could, it can add a layer of complexity to the game that it may not have yeah. otherwise. Um, some people may not like that. They may want a game, a game to be as simple and straightforward as possible, but it can add kind of a layer of depth. And then you can go further. There's some games where you actually can level up your companion and dress them yeah. in new outfits and all that kind of stuff. And I think that helps ingratiate that companion to you a lot more if you're able to personalize them and kind of make it yours in, in some way. And it, Monster Hunter World does that, right? You yeah, can buy, you can level you, them up. You, you armor, get them their you, new armor and give stuff, them, yeah. and it's all cute and cat-sized. Yeah. And, I don't know, I just keep thinking of, like, Ghost Recon Wildlands, where, you know, you have this team of four people that, even if there aren't other humans there, the AI takes them, and I just want to leave them somewhere. Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> just like, stay here, bro. Like, I, I, <laughs> the idea of us sinking our shots is cool, but please just stop talking and go away. Like, I will gladly take care of this all on my own. Sink shot or not. Yeah, yeah, just have that as an option. It's like, you know, it might be a little bit harder, honestly, but, like... Just just stop saying the same things whenever we drive somewhere, the same stupid quips. Like, yeah. if you play that game for 20, 30 hours, then, like, you've it heard starts it to wear thin a thousand times. And, like, that's one advantage of having, uh, I, think I was they about do to that. say inanimate, but, but, I mean, like, dogs and robots and stuff is that they don't talk. Yeah, yeah, you're right. They're, they're barks, <laughs> so to speak. Like, I don't expect them, like... That's a good It's point. funny if you're just like, you yeah. know, like, I'm not expecting a unique sentence out of the guy... It could also be a tactic to get you to play those games with other people. It's like, this like, is so Ubisoft annoying. Like, could be you like, let's just annoy friend. the crap out of this person, so we'll actually play the game the way it's designed to be played. Yeah. Doubtful, but... <laughs> All right, let's move on. We're going to talk next about... Uh, well, I guess what spurred on this next topic is a new racing game was announced this week called Trailblazers. 
And not only is it a racing game, it's a hover racing game. And uh, hover racing games are like a dime a dozen now. Literally, it seems like there's a new one announced like every month. And uh, so this came through. The admin was looking to curate it. I start watching. I'm like, oh, it's another F-Zero clone. Or, yeah. And uh, then I started actually paying attention to the trailer. And this game is actually something completely different. So it is a team-based hover racing game. Three on three. So there's two teams of three that play at the same time. Have you noticed how... They're painting. They're painting. Yeah. And so how it works is... If you are riding on the paint of your team, you get a turbo boost. And if you ride on the paint of the other team, it slows you down. And obviously, if you're riding on a blank part of the track, you just go at the normal speed. Yeah. So there's all kinds of... It's like Splatoon... Splatoon racing? Yeah. Racing. Which I'm surprised Nintendo did not... I mean, this shouldn't this Kart? be yeah. the next F-Zero? I mean, how is this not a Mario Kart mode? Right. Or how is it not like Splatoon yeah, Racing or whatever? Yeah, yeah. just call it Splatoon Racing. I mean, that's really what the concept is coming from. And so I was shocked when I learned about this game because, in all honesty, driving games, racing games have been one of the most stagnant genres yeah. ever. And I've really kind of fallen out of love with racing games over the last, like, ten years because they haven't changed. It's like they get prettier... But that's it. There's never any new mechanics involved. Uh, there's never any new features or modes. I mean, think about, like, PUBG and Battle Royale. How that has flipped shooting, third-person, first-person shooting completely on its ear. Yeah. It's inspired all these other clones to come out. And it's really changed first-person shooters for forever. And now I'm looking at this game, and I'm like, this could do the same exact thing for driving games. Somehow, this studio has managed to come up with an idea... That and this is a small game. This is from like Rising Star Games, generally an indie publisher, uh, coming from a studio that I'd never even heard of before. And somehow it's managed to come up with this concept that could flip racing games completely on its head. And there's all these Microsoft and all these in EA, all these big publishers that are just barfing out these sequels over and over with no innovation in gameplay whatsoever. And this little guy comes out and, and totally accomplishes it. So yeah, I hope it results in really interesting tactics and stuff. And it's not just Oh, you put paint where there's not paint, and then otherwise go for your own. Like, well, I think I, know, I hope it's not just something you can ignore. Well, I think what it is is because it's a team-based racer that yeah. intrinsically adds strategy to it. You're going to be on the headset talking with your other teammates, trying to strategically lay down the paint on the track, and it makes sense to like try to find the most challenging part of the track to lay it down on, or make sure you you coat that area really well. There's going to be strategy involved, definitely. Yeah. So I'm really impressed with Trailblazers, and it was almost our trailer of the week, but it didn't end up becoming trailer of the week because it ended up inspiring, inspiring the topic overall that we want to talk about, which is what genres are really in need of something like this, something that completely flips things on its head. Um, so we got driving here with this game, we got shooters with PUBG. What genre do you think, Brent, really kind of needs a complete overhaul at this point? Oh, I think RTSs need RTSs? hard, yeah. Do, do you think that MOBAs are kind of the evolution of that, though? Now that you say that, maybe. But like, they're so not. You're really just, really just controlling not... one guy. Like, a, a right. MOBA where you control, like, a squad instead of one dude might be interesting. That's a good idea. Um, <laughs> Let's make a game! <laughs> it will be done by the end of the day. <laughs> by the it's end so of my easy. life. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I don't know what the idea is, but, like, just a basic RTS where there's 
where there's two guys in a map versus each other, like, I don't care about that anymore. Yeah. Like, I feel like that was more or less perfected a couple times, and... A long time you're just, ago. You're just throwing different flavors on top of it, and, like, yeah, they look cooler. Job. You might have more or less units. Honestly, the less units I'm more interested in. Yeah. Because I'm actually... I don't like the the macro part of those games where it's just pumping units out. I actually like the tactics of having them fight. Right. Um, I agree with that. Like, I the resource part of RTS is always turns me off. Um, so I think there's definitely stuff there. But if you go too far in that, you end up with you know s- squad based tactics games and stuff, which is I don't, or you get into like Final Fantasy tactics or something, which are both fun, but then you're not an RTS anymore. So I I don't really know what you do, but maybe it's just because the definition definition of an RTS is so narrow that, like, of course it's going to stagnate because anything else is called a different kind called of game. Called something else. Look, think I, about a maybe like Pikmin. I mean, it kind of handles RTS yeah, in Pikmin a different was way. Yeah. Um, if you really kind of expanded on multiplayer options for a Pikmin game, I mean, that's why Pikmin 4 is taking forever to come out. Yeah. Maybe Nintendo's not trying to find a way to kind of innovate in that way and in that genre. And there have been a handful of games where you could jump down into the battlefield and, like, do stuff... Um, the name escapes me, but it was like 20 years ago. It was like Sacrifice or something? Mm, I don't know. Is that ringing any bells? Well, anyway, you you could come down and, you know, actually help out in those battles. Like, you're not doing any... Could take uh, control of one character on the yeah, battlefield yeah, yeah. or one unit or whatever. But then they would become more powerful and you would do stuff. And then you could pull back out when you needed to do your management and stuff. And, like, there have been interesting things, but I just haven't seen anything in several years. Yeah. If there's one genre that I feel like needs a complete and utter overhaul, it's the 3D platformer. And this is uh, this is something that's very near and dear to my heart. I'm a huge fan of, of that genre, have been for a really long time. Uh, but I think this year in particular has really shown me that it hasn't changed in a really long time. Obviously, Super Mario Odyssey is sublime. And, and in a lot of ways, when Nintendo makes a 3D platformer, I just kind of give it a pass in a lot of ways because it generally does everything else so well. But we saw with, like, you But it's not revolutionary. It's not, by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. I mean, it's amazing, but it's it's the same game you've played. It's just the perfect version of it. It is, absolutely. Um, and I would argue that even games like Super Mario Galaxy were more innovative than Odyssey, as far as how the game yeah, design sure. is set up. Yeah, sure, at least the perspective up. changes and stuff. And, yeah. Right, and just the way the general game design is handled. Um, these games have remained the same for forever. It's, it's hey, here's this discrete level... Here's X number of things you need to collect. Here's X number of activities you have to complete uh, before you 100% the level. And then that um, you get X number of stars or moons or whatever you want to call it, jiggies. And then the next level unlocks and you can go on to the next one. To be fair, the big thing about, uh, about this one that I think changed at least the Mario games is that the moons are fucking everywhere. Yeah. Is that like, you're like, hey, I wonder if I could get up to that platform. You can and there's a moon there. Like, yeah. it always had some sort of benefit to exploring and trying to do the little things, which in the other Mario games, you might get, like, a one-up or some coins. See, but, Matt- like, now it's always worth doing because the stars or whatever, there's not five per level, there's, like, 50. So it's, like, there's Matt always... Matt and I have had play. long discussions on this, and he hates that about Super Mario Odyssey. Really? He said that he feels that it cheapens the sense of accomplishment you get when you do get a moon because they're just everywhere. And my argument, and I look, I'm on your side. I, I love that about Odyssey. And uh, my, my counter-argument to him was, yeah, how far did you play? 
Because, yeah, the first couple worlds, that that is how yeah, it is. Yeah, they're just like, oh, you walked far and here's the move. Yeah, like, later on, like, yeah. They don't just hand them to you anymore. That, so. And then my other point of contention with his argument is that he, is that they use those moons to get you to a place that gives you a new perspective or view so that you can see other moons. Yeah. Because sometimes a moon's hiding behind a tree or behind a rock, and they'll put a moon somewhere else so that when you get that moon, it may be easy to get, you see that other moon that may not be quite as easy to get. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think that made a big difference in this game, um, but it's still I mean, not... it's not like genre changing right. or anything. It's not. But it made a big difference to me about actually playing through the entire game. Yeah. And, like, exploring all the nooks and crannies. Right. Because, to me, the thing about 3D platformers that I love so much and that makes them really great and I think makes them appeal to a wide audience is that you do so many different things in them. Yeah. You're not just running and jumping and bouncing. You're racing. You're fight. There's fighting games. There's puzzles. It's I mean, the Jack and Daxter series is one of my old favorites. Um, and there was a lot of, like, shooting and stuff in those. And then, oh, I mean, I guess one of them was a straight-up racing game. But yeah. Like, um, you know, those were varied a lot, but still they're kind of the same stuff, and I think they're one of the more out-there versions of it. Yep, and look, I don't want to present a problem with something without trying to provide a solution. Why isn't there an open-world 3D platformer? Because if you think about what 3D platformers are already, they let you do anything. There's, like, 50 the, different gameplay styles in, in them. Why can't you create this open world that just is a, a essentially a toy box that allows you to do all that stuff whenever you want to? I, I, I don't know if I said it on Game Face or not, but when the original stuff for Odyssey was coming out, I swore up and down that New Donk City was like the hub world and that there were like portals from there to all the other places and like you could just, that's what it's going to be. You can just go do whatever and go to these places and then you need a certain amount of moons and like it turned out I, to be way more guided than that, but I was, yeah, that's it's really, I, thought, really I really thought that's what they were going to do. I mean, really, this game, the levels are bigger than most Mario games, most 3D Mario games Some have are, been. Yeah. But they're still, it's still just, hey, here's this discrete level with X number of stuff that you need to collect before it opens the next one. And then there's just this facade of an interface on the ship that while, it's basically a loading screen, a glorified loading screen. Oh, yeah, screen. it is easily like the, the least open of the Mario games, I would have said. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, so to me, in this genre, when you start looking at games like Ukulele, which literally could have been made back in 1998. I mean, the design of that game is absolutely ancient. Um, I mean, when... A Hat in Time ends up being one of the better 3D platformers from the year where you have Rare making a 3D platformer for the first time in, like, 20 years. Yeah. That shows you that the genre is has been stagnant. And, I, you know, a lot of people argue, wonder why 3D platformers have died. That is why they've died, because they have not evolved like all the other genres have. So, if, for me, if there's one genre that could really use a refresher, and I am disappointed that the new Mario wasn't more innovative in that way. Great game undoubtedly a great game my second favorite game of last year but it could have been more and nintendo already showed with zelda that it could have done something different with this franchise i mean it really played it safe with this game in a lot of ways compared to what it did with zelda where it went to the open world and maybe the next one because obviously nintendo has experience yeah, that might have been hedging their bets who knows i mean look the game had been started well before the switch was released as was zelda remember right. zelda suddenly was delayed out of nowhere um, so who knows how much of the open world stuff was prevalent before they delayed it and decided to rework parts of it, I don't know. But the bottom line is Nintendo now has a lot of experience working with open worlds. And in all honesty, counting on 
another developer or publisher to innovate the 3D platformer is probably asking for too much. So <laughs> I feel like Nintendo is the last hope for that to happen, and hopefully with the next 3D Mario that I'm guessing will probably come along in two or three years, um, we'll kind of look at the, the base design of that series and maybe change things up a little bit. There's no reason why the games need to be designed that way. There's absolutely none. Just take the Zelda engine, start building Mario with the Zelda engine, and, and off you go. So... I, I think you were being optimistic, but that's okay. <laughs> You're right. Because here's the thing. I don't think that's going to happen. If it does come out in two or three years, there's no way in hell it's going to be an open world game. No. It will be just them snapping new levels together. And, or maybe they just end up supporting Odyssey with DLC. That Luigi DLC came out this week or whatever. So yeah. maybe they just keep supporting it with DLC. Um, I mean, they could add a completely new world onto Super Mario Odyssey with DLC. If Pretty they easily. To. Very easily. So all you have to do is just take the ship screen and just use that as a, a load hide and just load in the next level and be like, here you are! Yeah, here's more. Yeah, and I'd totally be fine with that, by yeah. the way. I would have no issues with that. It's, it's a great game, and I'm more than happy to get more of it. So there you go. RTS for you. 3D platformer for me. What do you guys think needs to be changed? Maybe you can uh, give us that at the end of the show when we ask for questions. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about... Kingdom Come Deliverance, because one, I want to make fun of myself a little bit. So I'm always down for that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'll be self-deprecating for a little bit here. So last week, Matt and, Matt and I did a recurring segment we do on the show called Hilo. Have you ever watched that? Yeah, we did that one time. Yeah, we did it, actually. Yeah, so uh, we did it last week, and I gave him a question. I'm of, pretty sure I won. Uh, you probably did. Yeah. Well, it's not, it's <laughs> no, not we, competitive. We made, we were making, That's not how it works, though. I know. We were just talking about like things that wouldn't happen for like five years. We're not going to know if I won for a very right, long right. time. But it's not like when we do it, it's not me against you. It's uh, I, I, know, I, know. I present something, and you tell me whether you think the number is going to be higher or lower. Yeah. And so last week, one of, the, uh, one of the questions was, Kingdom Come Deliverance has sold 500,000 copies already. It's getting, it has a really low aggregate review score. And it's loaded with bugs, and there's tons of videos all over YouTube of, of all the bugs in the game and everything. And basically the question was, by the end of the year, how many units do you think it will have sold? And it had sold half a million in like a couple of weeks. But then yeah. the question was, how much do you think the review scores and all the bugs are going to affect it? Do you think it's going to continue to sell the way it, it, what it has? And uh, the number was 1 million by the end of the year. So only... Well, it'll be above that. Well... That's what, yeah, Matt, I guess it that's what Matt is. said. Yeah. Is it already? It, yesterday, they announced it sold a million. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I was way, way <laughs> off on that. And so once I saw that it sold a million, like literally like a week later, I was like, well, wow, I definitely got that wrong. Um, but it brought up a question. It's like, what does it take if you really, really like a genre or you really, really like a concept? What does it take for you to say, no, I'm not buying that game? Because obviously... There's a million people out there who read the reviews, looked at the aggregate score, saw that the game's loaded with, in some cases, game-breaking bugs, and everyone who's experienced one of those before, they are one of the most soul-crushing things that can ever happen to you in a video game. Is when, like, you lose a save, yeah. or you get stuck somewhere, and you can't get out. They're the worst bugs in games, and this game has those. So, for you, what would it take if you, say, the next Elder Scrolls comes out? And people are like, oh my gosh, Bethesda blew it. it. It's averaging like a five Metacritic and just like a lot of Bethesda's Elder Scrolls games. It's just riddled with bugs and like you can't get past like the eight hour mark. What would it take for you to be like, I'm not buying Elder Scrolls 6, for example? To me, it, 
What's the bugs, breaking point? Bugs aren't gonna aren't gonna stop me because I have a I have faith that most of these guys are going to fix them in the next couple months. Like Kingdom Come, like I haven't bought it yet, but I'm going to get it once I hear that the patch has been released. The you know, patch. it's like the one that makes like, the big difference. It's like The Witcher; you don't buy it the first day. Although Witcher Three released fine, but like when The Witcher Two came out, nobody was expecting it to be bug free, and we were yeah. right. And so I waited and got it when it was. Yeah. Um, uh, to me, the way to get me to not buy a game is to make it boring. Or make it the same old shit. Like, this is doing new stuff. You're just some random dude. You're not special. And, like, that's very exciting. Like, I'm I'm much more excited about that than I am the next Elder Scrolls. Because I've played several Elder Scrolls games. And they're all kind of the same idea. Like played you, five of them. You, you really... <laughs> yeah. You really want to, like, flip that on its head... Please do. I'll definitely buy it. Um, but you would buy it regardless. Probably, but if it's <laughs> but if it's boring and it's bug ridden, then it's kind of like, well, sorry. How do you define boring for a the, game the, like just that? the same old stuff? Like as as I have gotten older, you like if I have played this kind of game before, like I'm sorry, I don't I don't want to play it anymore. Like if it's not like I have enough guilty pleasure stuff, like. Battlegrounds or Warcraft or whatever, like, I don't need another one. So, you better be doing something new and give me a new experience. Like, that that's kind of my main thing, at least now. To me, broken games are absolutely that's the funny. Like, that, point That doesn't me. even bother me. <laughs> if the game is broken and there's a chance that I'm going to spend, even if there's just a chance, if it turns into a thing, quote-unquote, online... That this game is broken, and you may get to a point where all your progress gets wiped away, I will not play that game. I absolutely will not. And that's why I've been shocked that this game has continued, not just to sell, but to sell like gangbusters. And I do get part of it is, and maybe this is a, a big part that we should bring up, is that it's really dry right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that is they an, released it at a good time. That is an important element of this. There's no big epic game like this. I mean, you could argue Monster Hunter World is, but that's more of it's kind, kind of, of... a different audience. It is, and it's also more of kind of an instanced game where you have, like, these little mini sessions where you jump online and you go hunting with, like, your friends and then you finish the hunt and you go back and get your spoils and maybe you stop there. This is just kind of one of those games that just goes on and on and on and you're kind of all on your own and playing it by yourself. But... So maybe launch window has something to do with supply and demand of quality. Yeah. Because do you think this game would sell as well if it were released in November? No. I mean, yeah. that, that's why I think November. the idea of everyone releasing their games in November is so stupid. It is. It's yeah. like, look at this. This like If this was versus the next Elder Scrolls, it would get clobbered. It would, yeah, absolutely. Well, who knows? The next Elder Scrolls may be even buggier than this game. But to me... If you ignore supply and demand, when it was released, what else is available at that time, for me, it's a game-breaking bug. And maybe part of it is that I can't afford in my life to spend 20 hours yeah, playing you, you something can't replay those four with hours. the yeah. risk that it may crash and I have to play those 20 hours over again. I can't do that. So maybe my vocation is tying into it a little bit and is affecting what, what would keep me from buying a game. But in all honesty, you know, when Matt was talking about this game, he actually delivered, like, early impressions of this, like, a week before it came out. And he's talking about it. I'm like, oh, I said on the show, oh, I'm going to play this. Mm -hmm. Like, I just said flat out. And I'm like, and we'll talk, it on talk about it on next week's show. Ne last week was next week's show, and mm -hmm. we did not talk about the game because Matt had played the first five hours of it when he talked about it on Game Face. And then 
the Tuesday came and the reviews came out. And then the whole week I'm getting flooded with stuff in our admin of kooky Kingdom Come bugs. The craziest bugs in Kingdom Come Deliverance. Game breaking bugs. And I was just like, oh, screw that. Like, I'm, there's no way I'm going to play this game because I just can't. And maybe it's not just me. Maybe there's a lot of people out there who are really busy. They're like you. They have a crazy job and they have two kids that they're raising. But you're, you would do it. You're going to oh, buy yeah. it. But you say you're going to wait. I'm right? going to wait for the patch. I mean, I, I don't want to deal with the bugs if I don't have to. I'm just saying they don't scare me as much as, as you, obviously. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I don't know. I, I am more excited you... about that than, than most other games coming. Like, I'm sure Far Cry 5 is going to be cool, but it, it just looks like another Far Cry game. Yeah, like, it does. I, if we're honest about it. <clears throat> and I'm sure that's fun, but, like, this is something that, like, I don't know. It's kind of what I always wanted Elder Scrolls to be is oh, a little bit more um, grounded. Yeah, well, almost a little bit more technical, like the the Gran Turismo versus Burnout. Yeah, like, yeah. I want to play analogy. the Gran Turismo yeah. version yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that might be pretty fun. So what happens though if you keep waiting and waiting for this patch to get the "it's okay, come on in" sort of message or whatever? Yeah, and it doesn't come for another two months, and then suddenly we start getting into the meat yeah, of then we get the, into game the summer games schedule. or something. Then yeah, then they might miss out. That is my intention now, but they may miss that window. So you're know. saying that... <clears throat> so bugs are a big deterrent for you. Yeah, I, I guess that is the exact opposite of what I said, <laughs> but that is how I act, yes. So I guess we're actually kind of in agreement on that, except you think that eventually you'll... I can't, because... I, I'm assuming this is a Witcher sort of, sort of situation that's going to get settled out pretty yeah. quickly. But. So we actually kind of agree on this. Like, yeah. you, you just are able to wait and play it later where I can't, because... When they finally fix this game, it's going to be probably a month from now, and that's when things start picking up, and like it's going to be hard for me to spend sixty hours on this game when nobody cares anymore. Because that's the other right. that's the other angle for me is like you're trying to monetize your gameplay time. Essentially, not, yeah, yeah, I am. Like I need to make sure that what I'm playing is something that I can par I can parlay into content that our user users want to watch. And in two months, is anyone going to care what I think about this game? Like. At the end of the year, you will. I want to know. <laughs> but it, look, at the end of the year, when we do our Game of the Year stuff, it will be brought back up. But I will eventually have to play at least a little bit of this. But December is good for that. Like, things start cooling off, and I'm able to kind of go back and Catch play some stuff. stuff. Like, I missed. did that with Horizon yeah. Zero Dawn this last year. Um, and maybe this will be my Horizon Zero Dawn of 2018, where I go back in December, and it's all fixed up and patched nice, and there's DLC out for it, and I get to kind of play the whole experience to kind of... And, and then measure it against all the other games that have come out that year, too, instead of having sort of that early year bias um, that sometimes happens with games that come out early. So, but for me, it's a deal breaker. Like, I can't burn 20 hours playing this game and for it to all be for nothing and my save to get corrupted. And chances are, by the time it is patched in a month and a half, it'll be irrelevant, and I won't be able to cordon away time to play it then either. So I'm kind of in a lose-lose situation with this game, <laughs> if you will, right now. And that is, you know, I don't complain about my job, like, ever. Um, but that is one caveat about it that I that I hate is like I need to play the stuff when it's hot. Yeah. I got to strike while the iron's hot. I can't wait and be like, oh, this is buggy. I can't. I'll wait till it's, they. Fit. I can't do that. So I get put in this awkward position of either it's good when it comes out or I don't play it. Yeah. Until the end of the year, if I have the time to do it. So, and I do really regret that because right now it is so slow. <laughs> I am playing so many crappy indie games right now, just trying to find like something 
that is worthy of bringing forth on Game Face or to the Sifters, essentially. It's like, yeah. I just keep getting, like, email after email. Hey, we got this indie game. You want to code? Yep, give me the code. I boot it up. I play it for, like, an hour. And I'm like, oh, God. Like, uh, it's so bad. Um, I actually talked about that on our new show this week a little bit about indie games, about how I've been playing so many and they're so awful. And uh, I'm just kind of souring on indie games in general. And I'm just sick of the flood of just mediocrity that's kind of permeating that space right now. Um, yeah, it's never been easier to make a game. It hasn't. Except and you can that see it's it. still hard to make a game and people don't get that part. Yeah. <laughs> because what they think is, oh, it's just about what it looks like in our concept. Yeah. No. Really, what, what, what makes a great game is being able to motivate the player to keep playing it. Yeah. That minute to minute, like Make, making a game fun, is easily the hardest part. I mean, Bungie had it right. It it took its game and it's like, how do we just make a bunch of really compelling fifteen minute chunks? And yeah. once we have all those, we'll snap them together and then we'll write the narrative around that so that it all kind of makes sense and it's just going to keep people playing. And that's you're absolutely right. That is what indie developers just totally get wrong. They're like, it's a pretty game. And the concept I can write out in a paragraph for you, and you're going to like it. And it's yeah. like, but then you sit down to play it, and there's nothing there that keeps you going. Like, the concept may get you to start it, and that's what I do. So I get all these emails in my inbox from all these indie PR firms and publishers and developers like, hey, please play our game. We need exposure or whatever. I watch the trailer, and I read their synopsis in their email. And that will get me to try the game. But literally nine times out of ten, after like forty minutes, I'm like, "Oh, screw this! Like, this is it worth it?" And no one's gonna like, care. You know, I feel like a lot of indie games also want to say something with their game. So I wouldn't say a lot. Well, but I, I think it's a dangerous pitfall to get into because it's a laudable goal, except that now you've thrown another design constraint on yourself when you're already constrained by the amount of things you can do, the amount of characters you can put in the game and, like, animate and stuff like that. And yeah. now you got this other thing where it's like, well, it's all going to build towards us realizing that, you know, video games are good for kids. Right. That's the game that needs to be made. <laughs> but then you do that and it's not fun. So, like, it, it's just, it makes it a lot harder to make something that's good, I think. It, yeah, I guess. Um, I think it's easy to make a competent video game in 2018. To make a video game that's worth paying for in 2018, not so much. Because all the boats are rising. Every game looks pretty good now. Every game yeah. is relatively bug-free Or people now. don't care if it's if it's 16-bit. It's like, fine, whatever. That, yeah. that doesn't make me not want to play your game. Right, right, absolutely. Like, that used to matter. It'd be like, oh, that's like baby's game or some shit. But, yeah. like... Some people are drawn to games like that though they sure. like that retro aesthetic I, mean, like, I, I like i like when games look nice but i don't care if they don't unless it's like offensively bad you yeah know? but then sometimes that's kind of fun yeah just ask jim sterling he makes a li <laughs> he makes a living off of those games essentially <laughs> making fun of them or having fun with them so um yeah i think ultimately to kind of sum up the topic like for me the tipping point is a game breaking bug i will i would not buy a great game breaking a game with game breaking bugs in it anything that has a chance of screwing with my save that's it <laughs> that's where i draw the line if there's any chance of my saves getting corrupted wiped out no way i'm not you know you know they have tools to like auto backup saves and stuff on consoles Oh, no, no, no. On, yeah. on PC. Yeah. Do you, do you play PC. consoles at all anymore? I mean, I play Monster Hunter. Uh, okay. What's on PC? So you play, you decided... Oh, to... Okay, so actually, I had not played any console games for a very long time, but then I just recently got a 4K TV, 
And so then I was like, oh, you, that's that's right. I have a PS4 Pro. <laughs> so like now, now I'm playing back. I, I put Monster Hunter in and, uh, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn and stuff like that. I'm like, wow, these look Just to check out your TV. great. I mean, honestly, I don't think Monster Hunter is out on PC yet. It's coming later. No, no, no. Yeah, it's not it's out. only on consoles right now. So I'm going to make sure I clear that up. But... Uh, yeah, that's that's the breaking point for me. Any risk of my save getting messed with, I'm out. I'm not or getting caught. Like I think it was um, with the Skyward Sword, where you could get caught in that room and couldn't get out. I didn't get far enough for that. I'm not <laughs> sure, man. I think it was. I think it there was a room in Skyward Sword where if you went in and had some kind of parameters attached to your character, either you were carrying something or something, you would get stuck in that room and could never get out. And there was no way to, like, fix your save or anything. Like, you were just stuck in that room for forever. So, my my wife got really into Stardew Valley on the Switch. And so, like, she got really far in it. And then she got into the situation where, like... So, in Stardew Valley, you play the entire day. And, and then it saves when you go to sleep at the end. Uh-huh. So, like, there's no midday saving or anything. And she kept having this issue where, at the end of the day, the save would, like, corrupt and the game would crash. Oh, jeez. And so, like... For a while, she just like Groundhog Day that day. <laughs> For she a while. Really? She must have really it. liked it. She really liked it, and then. Um, but she wasn't making any progress. Well, eventually, we found out what the issue was. The developer talked about it, and like it was, if you got one of your tools repaired, it had an empty square into this thing, right. and like, so we were able to fix it, um, and she could get past it. But it was just like. She must really love the game. She Valley. perfected that day. Yeah, that day was <laughs> she extremely maximized efficient. her time on that day. <laughs> she oh. got it. <laughs> I have not played Stardew Valley actually. Do you spend any time with it? I know people I, love I it. I played like five or ten hours of it. Like I didn't get in as into it as she did, but um, I really like. I think it is probably the best of those kind of games. Like it has a lot of different goals for you to go towards, and like. For some reason, I really like fishing in video games, and yeah. their fishing implementation was fun. Uh-huh. So, like, that's how I made money was fishing, and then I like I like forgot I had crops and all this other stuff, and let everything <laughs> go by, and just did fishing. And so, like, once I was kind of felt like I'd done all the fishing because there's the sort of a collection mechanic. So right. I got all the fish I wanted to get. Um, then I just let my wife play, and then she was like, "Oh, it's a fishing contest. I need you." So I would come oh. in, like, I'd do all the fishing for her. <laughs> Um, you were her ringer. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I won. Big time. Yeah, I'm curious why <laughs> why Stardew Valley has done so much better than Harvest Moon. I mean, Harvest Moon's kind of fallen off the map. There is a new one coming out pretty soon, but uh, it's kind of taken over that genre. And that was a, that's really another genre that's just kind of been dying on the vine without any innovation. What is it about Stardew Valley that kind of sets it apart from all the stuff that came before? I don't know. I mean, I think it did well because of Harvest Moon. Really? My wife was a big People fan of Harvest Moon, and one. then this one came out, and, like, it's a really good version of that. Got and it. what else are you going to play if you like that? Yeah. Like, when was the last Sims game? It's like, like, if this is kind of the stuff you like doing, is like, managing low-stakes stuff, like... Yeah. And, like, I, I, this is going to come up several times for me, but, like, when you're a parent, you spend all your day, like, on. And so... When you're done with the day after the kids go to bed and you have time to play for a video game, you're looking for a low stakes, like, yeah. I, I don't want to think about what, how I would handle my family in an apocalypse. I want to just, <laughs> I want to grow some turnips and sell them for some cash and then it's the married, buy, it's, buy some new curtains or whatever. Like, it, it's the married version of Netflix and chill. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know what, like, you know, we watched, uh, when we watched Breaking Bad, almost all of it was out. And then we had a kid over the divide of one of the seasons. Uh-huh. 
And like after that, like you know, we weren't sleeping, and like it's stressful and stuff. Yeah. And they were like, "Jesus Christ, can we really watch Breaking Bad tonight?" And <laughs> yeah. so like, like three episodes from the end is like a like a pretty serious cliffhanger. Oh, and yeah. like we stayed on that for months. Wow. Until we were like, you know, we just need to pull the bandaid. Let's just do this. Yeah. And uh, and worth the time. So like, I, there's Great there's definitely a certain type of person where this is the perfect game. It's just it's low stakes and like there's easy goals to reach. There's no pressure. And like, I just wish it was on my phone. Yeah. I wish there was the equivalent of like that on my phone. It could be. It's not pushing the hard. There's no reason not to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well I'm glad I, you came on because we that game has been pretty big, and neither Matt nor I have played it. So I'm glad you came on to kind of fill everybody in on what a big deal it is, why it's a big deal. I mean, if this sounds like something you would enjoy, it is. I think the best version of that. Also, so check it out. Uh, you can take it on the go. It's portable. Yeah. So, which is a big I mean, and big it's it's, uh, it's a good portable game. They're so. also releasing multiplayer on the PC very soon. I mean, it'll come to the consoles and stuff later, but like you and a friend could have a farm together. Uh and that sounds really cool. Yeah. So as long as your friend's holding up his end of the bargain. <laughs> That's <laughs> well, the thing about co op. I think it's like one of your it is one of you's farm and the other guy's just visiting. Oh, uh, he's just a farm hand. Yeah. <laughs> So you can just tell him what to do, basically. I mean, I don't, I don't know the full extent of it, but um, you, you'd be like, "Go the handle Switch, the cross while I fish." Let me tell you that if 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 Stardew Valley did that on the Switch right now, we would own two Switches. Wow, that's that's how that would have happened. Wow, that's pretty crazy. And I would have just been fishing. I wonder why <laughs> Nintendo should probably just start selling like the Switch handheld separately. Oh yeah. Instead of having to buy I mean, all the other crap, huge... it's like lower the price, 125 bucks or whatever, and just sell the handheld with well, two joy You know, the replacement's like 80 bucks or 90 bucks. It's like skim that off the top. I'll buy one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I won't anymore, but yeah. there was a time where there I definitely would have done that when I wanted to play games in the Switch, and my wife was playing Stardew Valley. She's since moved on, but like <laughs> that was her Switch. Like, you're for hogging a few up my or whatever, Switch. You know, <laughs> that's tough when you got Mario out there as well. So. Yeah. All right, let's move along. We're going to talk next about... This is actually a topic that I tried to bring up yesterday. So uh, yesterday was one of the most disheartening days I've ever had uh, streaming. So we did the first episode of Today's High Score, which is a call-in show where people call in and we discuss games. It's trying to get the community involved in content as much as I can. First episode went great. We had more calls than we could handle. Like, literally, I'd start talking to somebody and five more people were calling. And then I went in yesterday to try to do it again. And had prepared, spent like five hours preparing B-roll for the show, all the graphics, drove here at like four o'clock. It took me like an hour to get here and nobody called. No one. Should have texted me. I would have called. I started the first topic (laughs) and I just sat there and I was like, yeah, if nobody calls, this show is worthless. (laughs) And all the work I did was worthless. Hello, yeah, this I is, start talking to myself. This is Susan. <laughs> yeah. I'm calling in to talk about how cool you are. Yeah, so I just ended the stream after like 30 minutes or whatever. I was like, man, I did all that work for nothing. But not for nothing. So I'm going to bring back a topic from that that was supposed to be in that show for here. And uh, so this week, Kotaku's podcast, Split Screen. I don't know if you listened to it at all. Great <laughs> podcast. Uh, Jason Schreier, who is, one, in my opinion, one of the best journalists in the industry right now. He breaks tons of stories. He actually does like investigative stuff. Um, he's on the podcast and he had mentioned how he just got like a brand new kick-ass rig for Christmas Mm -hmm. and he has had a PC since January 1st and what he's discovered is that since he's had this beastly PC he doesn't play console games anymore because he cannot go back to playing games at less than 60 frames per second 
Have you found that? That you have problems going back and playing games that aren't pegged at 60 or higher? No, I mean, like, being 60 frames a second is definitely a huge plus for me. Like, some people can't even perceive those frame rates, but I definitely can, and I definitely like seeing it at 60. But, like, I don't know, man. Sitting in, like, the way we have a TV set up so that, like, I can sit in bed and play on the controller and, like... That's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely makes a difference. So so th this brought up the discussion, the discussion that we're going to have, the discussion point that we're going to address is what is more important to you? Is it more important to have a game that looks as beautiful as possible, like the game we're looking at right now, which is Uncharted 4, and have that run at a solid 30 frames per second? Or... Is it more important to you to have a game that may not look quite as good, but runs at 60 frames per second? Because that's the balance that you're striking. I mean, yeah. if, you, if you go back and you think about, like, probably the clearest example of this is the N64 era, where developers really had to make that decision. They had to say, hey, we can... We can put yeah, like perfect dark. Right, we like can put 10 like a second. Right, or... we can put like ten million or like a million polygons on screen at once, and it'll run at ten frames per second. Or we can put three hundred and fifty thousand on the screen at once, and it'll run at at least thirty. Yeah. And th I mean, developers are still making those decisions today. It, it was just more blatantly yeah. obvious back then because when the frame rate went down, it didn't go down to like twenty frames per second. It went to like eight. <laughs> like perfect dark literally perfect times, dark was unplayable it, it's at times it was unplayable yeah i mean with the whole expansion pack on the n64 it didn't really help anything um <laughs> so that brings up the question and what's more important to you fidelity or fluidity so i actually recently had the opportunity to make this decision with all the information available to me and i was surprised by my answer okay so i, I said i just got this 4k hdr tv and so like i boot up you know, Horizon Zero Dawn, which has, they have a favor resolution mode or a favor um, performance mode. And I would have sworn a million years that I prefer performance. I don't. I prefer her, uh, resolution. It looked better. And I was super surprised. But uh, that's that's where I stand, apparently. Uh, I'm, Brent, I'm right there with you, man. Uh, to me... The overall, provided it stays at at least it's got a thirty-ish. Like if you if you go below thirty, then like no, that that's that's a serious issue. But I mean, even that depends. I, I think four K thirty versus you know uh, whatever checkerboard less than that is at sixty. Like it just doesn't look as good. Well, then you start talking about the beginning process again. Wow, this game is so gorgeous, dude. It almost looks like a painting at times. Um, then you start talking about the core process of creating a game. And when you start specking out your game, <clears throat> Naughty Dog, when it starts specking out a game, it says, hey, we're going to target 30 frames a second. Sorry, but... I just realized that I can play Uncharted 4 <laughs> on my 4K TV, and I never really finished it, so now I'm super By the way, excited. what you're looking at right now is 720p. I know. That's not even 1080p, what you're looking it's at. It's going to be so It's good. ridiculous how good this game looks. And that's my point. It's like, I would rather play Naughty Dog's games running at 30 frames per second than play some other game that looks worse and runs at 60. Now, there yeah. are some exceptions. First-person shooters, I prefer the frames. Maybe because, mostly, there hasn't been a really gobsmacking first-person shooter, save for maybe Battlefront. Um, there used to be. Yeah. Back I, when Guerrilla was making first-person shooters... 1. 
looks amazing. If you run it on PC, it's like my Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. what I mean. Yeah, but PC kind of stays out of this discussion. Yeah, that's not really fair because you can, you can have your cake and eat it too. Right, but uh, we're right. talking more with consoles here where you have okay. a fixed platform where you this is what we got. We need to decide whether we want more of one or more of the other to get out of this hardware. Um, and I would rather play a game that looks like Naughty Dog's game that is just the best looking game on the market and sacrifice those 30 frames because to your point... Of what you were talking about earlier, some people can't even perceive the 30 to 60. Right. I can. Clear as day, I can. And if people couldn't, then it wouldn't be a thing. I mean, there's a reason that YouTube went through all this trouble to allow people to post 60 frames per second videos on YouTube. There's pe- A lot of people can perceive the difference, and I am one of them. But Well, I don't even think it's that rare, but I remember I had like a really long like discussion slash fight with my best friend over this because he thought that seeing over 30 frames a second was a myth and i'm like it's not a myth and so like we eventually was this found Ryan this, you were talking to yeah you? we eventually found this website that had it had 60 45 30 15 like uh i think it was gifs doing it and he was like see they're the same and i'm like you don't see it he difference? couldn't see it he couldn't and I was see like, it and it's like it, to him it is a myth <laughs> I was like, That's all hilarious. right, so we were both right. I'm super surprised well, right now. Well, what a lot of people like him tend to go back on is the the medical information that the human eye can only see, I think it's 28 frames per second. That's this thing that's floated around for forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not true. It's not true. I, I can absolutely tell the difference, but I can also absolutely tell you that I would prefer to play a game that looks like this versus... Something that doesn't look as good as that, but runs more quickly. Yeah. Um, I think one example... Now, look, there is there is cases of happy mediums. So, I think if there's one game from the last few years that, to me, that strikes a perfect medium, it's Doom. Doom still looks great. Mm-hmm. But it also is just, like, mind-searingly fast. Yeah, it's such a fast game. And it that can is, be tough to play. And it. that is also the genre where it makes sense. It's because it is a circle strafe twitch shooter. And in games like that, you absolutely, there's a big difference between playing it at 30 frames per second and 60 frames per second. So this is, this is a case where they're starting the game and they spec it out and they're like, look, this is doom. Like this thing needs to run like grease lightning. And yeah. nobody, I would be shocked if Ryan played this doom and could not tell the difference. Because as soon as you pick up that controller and you start moving around, like you could just, hell there's just it's just like lightning you touch a stick and it's just like it's like playing a pc game yeah and uh, so i would be shocked if even people like him who can't technically perceive that 60 frames per second wouldn't at least feel the difference in playing the game yeah i don't know i mean that might have that might also be that it's tuned to that level of stuff and like who knows they might just be pulling the controller more and stuff like that like it it might be higher fidelity in more ways than than one that's true but, I mean, I feel like, you know, Doom is still a good-looking game. It's not oh, like yeah, you yeah. look at it and you're like, oh, they sacrificed something for 60. You only feel that way when you compare it to a Naughty Dog game. Well, I mean, okay, so when you have a mid-range PC and you play the, which of these things can I turn down to get frames back out of it? Like, one of the big ones is, V-Sync. like, uh, well, V-Sync, and then there's, like, shadow quality. Yeah. When we get really down to it, like, over a certain level, like, you will never notice shadow quality going up. Like, it's just not what you look at. Like, it being there is very good to a certain extent where the shadow matches whatever the object is. But it being, like, absolutely perfectly dithered and stuff, like... I think it depends on the game. Because if it's, like, a walking simulator or something that's kind of slow where you're just kind of walking around investigating stuff, 
you can def you'll definitely notice the stair stepping on the shadows, like as like there's a leaf, and you'll see like the jagged edges of the sh like it does. I do notice that stuff, but I don't think you're gonna if it's a game it, like Doom, you're not gonna notice in Doom. No. Is, is my point? Nope. I, I think you can, <laughs> I think they could skimp is the wrong word, but they could lower some of those settings without it being a huge deal. Yeah, um, and that's the thing about consoles; you don't have that freedom to pick and choose what you enable or disable, although that's starting, that, to, that is starting, to, that's be starting to change a little bit. That They're starting to treat console gamers like they're smart Especially enough. Especially now with this like kind of fluid console generation where yeah. you, you might have a PS4 Pro, you might right. have a regular PS4, you might have an Xbox One X, yeah. Yeah, who knows. Yeah, and they have to start scaling games or providing options you can turn on or off. Like you said, Horizon Zero Dawn yeah. gives you the option, just like a PC game, to kind of pick and choose. It's never as extensive as you get in PC, though. No, but I don't... I've always thought that's overblown. Like, I am a programmer. I'm very technically minded. I have made graphics engines before, and there's too many options. Yeah. It's like, break it down into the things, like, just just give one slider for shadows. Yeah. Like, you, you don't need, like, all the different, like, things that oh, I have right. to look up what the words mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, Occlusion, blah, blah, and, like, blah. They'll, they'll never do that because some people actually know what they mean, and they have their, their favorite thing. But, yeah. like, I wish there was some sort of, like... I'm not an idiot, but I'm not a genius. Give me those options. <laughs> well, what I've noticed lately is I've been, again, because I'm just trying to play anything to find stuff to talk about, I've been getting into a lot of betas on PC. I've actually been playing my PC a lot this year as well, just like Jason Schreier. And what I've noticed, a lot of the betas, they don't really give you the option. Like, they basically detect your hardware. They're like, you got this much RAM, you got yeah, this video card, this is how it's going to run. Uh, Hunt Showdown was like that. Like, you couldn't adjust anything. Um, and actually, like past year, a lot of the betas I've been playing on PC, none of them let you really touch the graphic settings. Um, I don't know if the final versions ultimately will. Probably, I'm guessing they will. Because don't you think PC players will cry foul? You, you can't not do yeah. it on a PC. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think the final versions maybe will, but it seems like a lot of the betas on PC lately have just been like set it and forget it, and off you go. So I think that's something you do towards the end because you need to know where your limits are. About like a, you know, during development, you don't know how far your shadows are even going to go no, you're, you're and stuff right. like that. So you don't want to put an upper bound that doesn't make any sense and stuff yeah. like that. So they just wait. So ultimately on this topic, are we in agreement that fidelity... Surprisingly, if, if you'd asked me like a couple weeks ago before I got the TV, I would have been like, oh, performance, definitely. But yeah. no, I'm, I was wrong. It yeah. is definitely... <laughs> resolution is what I care about, apparently. What TV did you get, just out of curiosity? I got the, the Sony 4K HDR guy. Nice. It's a good um, TV. It's, it's actually funny. I A couple years ago, I bought 0.1 of a Bitcoin and then promptly lost my password to Coinbase. <laughs> and so, like, you know, uh, you know, I guess a month or two ago, like, when it, was it, 20, it was really going high. I'm like, you know what? I should probably recover my, <laughs> yeah. uh, my, my password there. And then... How um, much was that 0.1 worth? Okay, so the point one was worth maybe like two grand, but I had forgotten that. Wow, how much did you buy for? Like twenty bucks or something? Uh, was, uh, I think it was like a couple hundred when I did it. Yeah. But like the real thing was, is I had forgotten completely that I'd also bought a couple of Ethereum, which oh. went up by like a thousand percent. So I was like, "Fuck this!" and pulled out the exact amount <laughs> to buy a new 4K TV, and it's like, "Great, this That's is free!" Awesome. <laughs> and then the values all tanked, and I was like, yeah, "Sweet, glad you I did, did that." Perfect. Did you? Was it easy for you to sell the the coins? Because that's yeah, one thing I've heard about Bitcoin is like, well, you're on you're on an exchange. So yeah, like, yeah, yeah I, I would never do that outside of an exchange. Yeah. And I'm not, there's all kinds of other coins you can get into and stuff like that, but. Yeah, um, that's a whole other podcast. If I am just kind of doing the casual, like, 
hey, it went, it's going up. I'm going to buy some. And oh, hey, it's tanking. I'm going to sell it. Then, then Coinbase is fine. Just do that. Gotcha. So we agree on that one. Yeah. I'm all about fidelity over fluidity. I'll take it any day of the week. Just give me more games from Naughty Dog that look like Naughty Dog's games, and I'll be cool. So, all right, we're going to talk next about a remaster. Remasters are all the rage now. Um, typically, remasters are for games that need remastered, right. that are from generations ago, that you look at them now, you're like, eee. Or unless they're retro style, now that's a thing. Um, but polygonal games generally... Remasters only happen for games that are from... The, at least a generation. At least. It's at least like the PS2, Xbox, GameCube generation. Things are starting to change, though. It was announced this week that Burnout Paradise is being remastered. Um, do you think it's hashtag too soon? Sorry, is this the remaster or is this the original? This is the original. Okay, yeah, it's too soon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the original. We have a trailer for the remaster. Yeah, here's the remaster. Does it really look any different? I mean, it says 4K, it's 4K 60, but, like, yeah. that doesn't matter to an extent about, like... I mean, did they upgrade all the... No, they didn't. They're not doing a ton of work to it. It's not like a remake. It this, is... this feels like a cash grab, man. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, it doesn't even look like they updated the textures. No, it doesn't. And look, this, again, this is not running in 4K. This is running in 720p. Well, yeah, on a if it's 720, here. I can see the texture issues. Absolutely, then I'm definitely going to see it in 4K. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point, actually. Touche. So too soon for this? Yeah. Well, well look, not necessarily even not necessarily even too soon, but like almost too little effort. Like, yeah, really make this look like the best racing game of all time. Then, like, all right, sure. Because here's the thing about this game: this is like the last good burnout in a lot of people's opinion. Yeah. This was kind of like the first arcade racing game that kind of nailed the open world, although at first it was a complete disaster. I don't know if you remember when this game launched, but it oh, had yeah, all yeah. kinds of problems, and it did not do well out of the gate, but history ultimately has been very kind to it. Um, and it has kind of turned into this cult favorite arcade racer, which, uh, hey, I love the Burnout franchise. I always have. Um, so it's definitely got a, a soft spot in my heart. But do we need this? Like... Can we just do, like, backwards compatibility on Xbox One and, like, does it really help the experience at all? Uh, they get more money. Right. They, they get to sell but it for... To be fair, you know, they're putting effort into repackaging it, I guess. I mean, it really <laughs> kind of depends on how much money they're going to charge for it. Yeah, I don't think they've announced a price for it yet. If this is, like, 15 or 19 bucks, then, like, yeah, all right, you know what, guys? That's, that's totally cool with me. If they t try to do this, like... They're not going to sell it for full 15 price. or 18 bucks. I know, but I'm trying to say like how I would allow it. To okay. be fair, if you give EA discounting the crap out of everything, man, like just give it a couple months if you want to play Burnout. And you think to be able to buy the original? You mean no to play? Once this comes out, give it like two or three months, and you can buy it for ten. Oh, months. really? So you're saying EA is discounting its new games really quickly? Oh yeah. Like, get an example. Oh, uh, like. Andromeda. Uh, well, Andromeda. All the stuff like there was like five million copies sitting out there that people weren't buying. No, I mean, I just so. mean on like digital. I just, oh, really? I just see those origin sales come through, and I'm like, seriously, like. No, you're right. Some of those origin like sales have been pretty insane. Six bucks for yeah. Ma like Mass Effect is not a great game, but it's not a six dollar game either. But they've also been giving free games away on Origin yeah. lately, like just here. 
take the game for free. Like, Why just not? please use Thanks. our freaking service. <laughs> I mean, I've got, uh, I mean, Titanfall 2 is not, like, new anymore, but, like, I got that for, like, eight bucks. That's a great it game. It is a great game, man. $8, spend it all day, every it's day. It's like, thanks, man. Yeah, the multiplayer is great in that, too, man. It's, and, like, I thought it was... And the campaign's, like, incredible. Short, but incredible. I thought it was 20 bucks and went on to pay and then, like, gets to the checkout screen for 8 And I'm like, did I got the right game? Did I accidentally get Titanfall 1? It's like, no. Yeah. Like, thanks. What year did Paradise come out? Burnout Paradise. I don't know. Do you remember? Actually, yeah. I'm going to look it up real quick. Check out Sifted. Let's, let's zoom in over there. There we go. Oh, it's actual screen capture. Oh, yeah, man. You haven't watched this show for a while, brah. Oh, I never watch it. I listen to it. 2008. Okay. Sorry, you just did a podcast to me. Yeah, that's fine. However you want to consume it. Yeah, so 2008. It, it actually has been quite a while. It's been 10 years, a decade. That's that's more than I thought. I still think they should have done more with the remaster. Like, I, I mean, they look, they look at the game. This is a game. It looks great still. I I disagree. You don't think it looks good still? I think it looks dated. Yeah. I just also think the new one looks dated. The remaster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you can only do so much unless you want to completely remake it and build it from the ground up, which might but not be that bad the, of an idea. That's kind of the premise, yeah. right? I mean, especially for a racing game, like I feel like you could do more texture-wise and not break the bank. Like you don't have to redo animations and stuff. I mean, basically their selling point is 4K. That's sure, what they but I mean, flashing like in the trailer, yeah. and but it doesn't look great. I mean, that's that's almost like we'll just go play the original Burnout on an emulator at 4K, and I bet it looks the same. You're probably right. Which yeah. means they just they just changed the value in an INI file, and now then yeah. they sold it to you. Right? And going back to our earlier discussion, it probably runs at a better frame rate. The old version, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Running in 4K probably I mean, yeah, runs they, They'll probably layer on some bloom or what, whatever right, yeah. hot new effects they've yeah, got yeah. in the toolbox. But. Whatever shader or whatever the yeah. heck they want. So are you excited about this at all? This has, by the way, this has been like the top story on every video game podcast this week. I don't know. That's how never, slow things are right now. I was never a huge Burnout fan, but like... Really? If this is if this is cheap, then sure, I'll check it out. Yeah. Why not? So what, what's the most you would pay for it? 20 bucks? I, I, I'd probably wait for like 10. 10. If I'm buying a 10-year-old game that looks like a 10-year-old game to me, then yeah. yeah. Okay. I don't know. Like, it's funny because um, I would already own uh, Kingdom Come Deliverance if it wasn't 60 bucks. Yeah. I think a lot of people would say that, but... Well, then don't price it at 60 bucks. Well, it sold a million at 60 bucks already. I get it, but it could have been... Could have <laughs> been 10 million. million. Could have been 10 million. Who knows? I, I, I mean, mean, look, I PAX know. says that all the time. It's like, you know, it's it's a math equation. It's... You know, can, sure, you, and I'm, I'm, can you sell, but you're right. Like, look, if you can sell 2 million at 50, that's better than selling 1 million at 60. Yeah. I mean, it's very simple math, by the way. You don't need a calculator for that one. So, uh, yeah, this, I don't know. To me, this is not that big of a deal. This game, for whatever reason, has achieved this mythical status. I think it's because the Burnout series since then has become such crap or not yeah, crap, but it's, the really, last... it's been kind of mediocre yeah. and it's kind of gone away. And this is the one everyone points to. Like, this is the good one. This is the one that they should model yeah, they, future games after. All their feedback is probably just, hey, why don't you just make Paradise again? And they're like, okay. Sure. That's a great go. idea, Johnny. <laughs> Here, Here you go. go for $60. <laughs> yep. So, uh, <laughs> I'm curious if chat is, is into this game. It seems like I don't know. Most of the response I've seen on Sifted has been kind of lukewarm. 
Reality Man UK, thank you for subscribing with Twitch Prime, by the way, man. You just gave us $2.50 completely free. That's awesome. Uh, people are saying Paradise is the last burnout. Uh, there's three in Revenge. My favorite burnout was Burnout 2, to be honest with you. I mean, it didn't have the open world and all this. Yeah. Well, we have one. Couldn't care less. Yes, yes. Um, no. For Forza Horizon 2 looks better. Agree with that. Without a doubt. Thank you, Sound Wizard, for subscribing on Twitch Prime. You know, I hadn't really considered that, but Forza Horizon kind of... It was really good. Man. Hell yeah! And it looks great. <laughs> Are you kidding me? It's like the best driving game in the last... Or arcade driving game in the last, like, decade. And I think it kind of, like... It fits nicely in this slot. So, like, yeah, if I was in the mood to play Burnout, I'd probably just go play Forza. Yeah. That game is sublime, man. It's my favorite driving game in a really, really long time. Um, and I think there's another one probably coming out this year, actually. At least I hope there is. I drafted it in my fantasy draft. <laughs> <laughs> it's been like clockwork every two years for the last, like, six years. So we'll see. Uh, so, yeah, it seems like kind of split. 50-50. Some people are into it. Some people aren't. Uh, some people brought up a, the Switch version. Why wouldn't there be a Switch version of this? Oh, yeah. Because, obviously, it's on last-gen hardware, and that's pretty much what the Switch is. It's and an, there aren't... The Switch is essentially a PS3 or an Xbox 360 I don't, um, I don't think there's any big racing games on the Switch. I don't think they're even doing the remaster for PC. I think it's only announced for PS4 and Xbox One. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, it is what it is. But it seems like people are mostly split on whether they actually give a crap about it. But And I don't. I played it back in the day. I don't need to play it again. Yeah, sorry. It's all good. All right, let's move on to our last topic of this here show. And uh, as I said, I've been scraping the barrel trying to get games to play for you guys, games to cover on Game Face and for content. And some of my scraping scraped up some gold this week as I was able to finally play Warhammer Vermintide 2. Um, are you a fan of Left 4 Dead? No. No? You, never, you didn't like those games? I did not like it. Well, I sent you a beta code for this. <laughs> I know. And, if, and you, then, if you want to send it back, I can give it I'm to sorry. one of the sifters. I I uh, I put it in Steam and had it all installed and stuff. And then I was I was looking on Sifted and it described the game as a Left 4 Dead clone. I was like, oh. <laughs> you already redeemed the code. I was so excited. Because <laughs> if you look at just the footage like this, you're like, oh, sweet. Is this like Elder Scrolls Warhammer? Yeah. It's like, oh. No, uh. it is essentially a Left 4 Dead clone set in the Warhammer universe. I am in the closed beta, and so is Brent, but apparently he'll never actually join up and play with I, I'll, me now. I'll play, I'll play. But uh, I do actually have an extra beta code for this, and maybe I'll find an ingenious way to give away to one of our sifters. But it's for PC only, the beta. Um, and I gave one to Matt, because he's going to need uh, something to do over the next like week or two weeks yeah. while he, uh, he licks his wounds a little bit. But Super uh, pretty. So this, it is, it is gorgeous, man. Um, it, it, the basic premise of it is Left 4 Dead. You play with teams of four, and you just go through a series, or, or basically it's a, it's a big level that you go through. Uh, one thing that kind of sets it apart from Left 4 Dead is you don't have the safe houses in, at, inter, at intervals throughout the level where you can stop yeah. and like restock on ammo, regenerate your health and things like that. Um, it is just one continuous slog, but to account for that, there are pickups everywhere where you pick up ammo for your for your guns. You can see I have like a, a blunderbuss or whatever the hell they're called right there. Yeah. And there's a, in the beta, there's I think seven or eight different characters you can choose from. They all have different abilities. They all carry. Ouch. Yeah. And you can re, you'll see here you can revive. You can be revived by teammates. 
and yet you can revive them as well. Uh, but you, the, the, the game itself is pretty simple. So you have a melee weapon, you have a gun, you have a special, and then you have potions and grenades and things like that. And uh, they keep it simple because the, the action is what you really... And you can see their enemies will pick up your players. Yeah. And... Slam them. <laughs> they do a lot more than that, too. There's some enemies that have, like, psychic abilities... And they'll like lift you up off the ground and like bring you into them. And then some one of your teammates needs to come in at that moment and attack them so that it breaks their so concentration drops and drops you. Um, it is a absolutely gorgeous game. Um, when I talk about like Left for Dead or whatever, um, that was last gen. Like playing a game like this on my PC with a nice card, um, it's quite the mind opener. And Gory is all get out. Like, not just, <laughs> it it. not just gore, but, like, detailed gore. Like, you chop, like, an enemy's leg off. You look down at their leg, and you'll see, like, one of the aortas, like, spraying, like, blood <laughs> out. Like, it's it's pretty hardcore. And the reason they Don't keep... let your kids play, guys. No, definitely can't. <laughs> Watch out. Trump's going to come after this game next. But if, if the reason the game is kind of simple mechanics-wise is because there are times where literally... There are just hundreds and hundreds of enemies flooding the screen cool. at a time. And you're trying to manage these mobs of enemies that are coming at you. And they're, they're, it's not like cut-and-paste um, enemies where you're fighting like 80 of the same dude. There are certainly a little bit of that. <clears throat> but they do a good job of mixing it up and providing sort of... you know Some of them will have shields and they'll actually use the shields. And you kind of have to preoccupy them while somebody comes in from the side and attacks from the side while they're not blocking that way. You also have defense, by the way. I should have brought that up. You can block and you can dodge. Okay. <clears throat> but the levels just kind of play out linearly. They're open-ish, but there's always a waypoint to kind of point you in the direction that you need to go. And then periodically you will come. See, here's where I'm talking about. Like, one of the enemies, oh, you know. like, grabbed a hold of me. And then the other person comes in and, like, chops at him so he'll drop me. Um, the levels are, to an extent, linear, but they're really big and open. Um, there's only kind of one way to get through them, and there are waypoints that kind of point you in the direction you need to go at all time. Like that shield you can see right there. Yeah. That's the icon that you need to follow. And there are objectives along the way. Like this, this mission that you're seeing right now, there are, there's a series of people who are being held in cages that you need to free. Um, and uh, so, yeah, there's uh, objectives that evolve as you go through each level. It's not just kind of the same thing over and over again. Um, and then there are boss battles. And the bosses in this game are absolutely incredible. In fact, you're about to see one here in a minute. I make the stupid mistake. You'll see here, there's a, there's a barn door that's like sitting shut. And there's a thing on it that says open. And as, <laughs> as soon as I go to open it, like I didn't notice it when I was playing. But as soon as I go to open it, the chat explodes. <laughs> and there they say, like, don't open the door. Don't open the door. And what do I do? I open the door. And out comes, I won't, even, I won't even spoil it. Here, you can see it right here. Like, they're all telling me you can't see the graphics covering it. But the chat right now is like, don't open the door. Don't open the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> and then it ends up being the, this massive freaking werewolf that comes out and you have to fight. And the, you know, the bosses take a lot of uh, coordination to take down because yeah. they can drop you in, like, a couple swipes or whatever. So a lot of it's, like, distraction. You get your more powerful character... To distract the enemy while everyone else kind of comes in from the side and the back and kind of chips them down. Yeah. Uh, there's leveling up in the game. After you finish each mission, you get literally XP and then you have leveling. And every time you get a new level, you'll get like new weapons that you can use uh, for your arsenal for that character. There are loot boxes, of Yay. course. 
Um, I don't know how much this game is going to cost. They haven't really announced the price of it yet, but they did just finally uh, let Hunt Show Showdown go out of easy uh, early access, and it's 30 bucks, which I was pretty shocked at. So I'm guessing this game is probably going to come in around there, um, around $30. I'm guessing they haven't, they haven't announced it yet, so don't quote me on that. Yeah. But I've been playing this game for two days, and I absolutely love it. Yeah. Like, I don't awesome. know how you're watching this, so you don't think it looks like fun. No, it does look like fun. <laughs> It's a lot more fun than Left 4 Dead to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And I have friends who were way hardcore into Left 4 Dead and just begged me to play it. And I'd, like, get with them and play it for, like, a night or two and, like, never really go back to it. And I think a big part that helps, too, is that this is, you know, 10 years later. Yeah. And the game is just flipping gorgeous. Um, and it helped, too, that I played with people who were really good and were much higher level than me that kind of carried me at times. But, you know what, sometimes I carried them because the characters are so different that you do need a well-constructed team to actually succeed. Yeah. Um, because there were some, like, magic casters on my team that with just one spell would literally just disintegrate, like, 50 enemies at once. And uh, when you start get dealing with, like, the really big hordes, like, you need it. Yeah. Like, you need to make sure you have a well-composed team um, in order to, to be able to topple all the big enemies. Because I was a noob, but I deal a lot of damage. So... A lot of times the enemies kind of latch on to the higher level characters and go after them. Yeah. So while they were attacking them from the front, I just would come up behind and just start hacking and just taking off huge chunks of, uh, of the health. Um, and again, like you can see here in the scene coming up here, like this just a horde of enemies starts coming. And look, this game never slows down, dude. Look at those enemies. There's like literally There's like so many 100 enemies coming through that little hole and like one of my teammates is sparking off spells and it just runs like grease lightning. And I have a good PC. I don't have a PC like you and Matt. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I have like an i5 with like 32 gigs of RAM and a GTX 1080. Like, I can't run 4K games at like 60 frames per second or anything close, really. Um, so I have a... That's, that's what I have. Okay. So I have a decent rig, but not like a monstrosity like Matt Kyle does with like dual titans or whatever. Yeah, I, like, I do not have more than one titan. Yeah, so or even one. <laughs> so I'm really impressed with how this game runs. This game is, you know, it's not done. It's still got some time left to be to go in the cooker. The beta has a lot of content in it. There are cool. There are story missions that are kind of narrative driven. Not a ton of cutscenes, uh, but there is sort of a premise that you go in each level with. And then there's quick play, and that's what you're seeing right now is uh, just a quick play where you just go through a map with uh, with some teammates that you join up with. So, so are these people you knew, or did it just match up? No, it just matched me up with these folks. Yeah. And how the game starts is when you, you go into matchmaking, and then it spawns you into what's called the keep. Uh, you'll see at the end of this mission when we finish it what the keep is like. And it's just basically this environment that you go into, and there are places to buy stuff, like new weapons and new clothes to customize your characters with. After you finish the match and you get like a, a loot box or two, there's a pedestal in the center of the keep that you go to to actually get the stuff from your loot boxes. And there's a board where you go to select what mission you want to play. Okay. And once you select that mission, there's an area that opens up in the keep. And once all four players get into that area, you get warped out to the level. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's Vermintide 2. I was a big fan of the first game as well. I was a big proponent of it here on Sifted. And I think I actually convinced a couple people to buy it who later messaged me and said thank you. They were very happy <laughs> that I had... Uh, That's awesome. Which makes me feel good. Yeah, I love when stuff like that happens. So if I ever give you good advice, reach out to me at Shane on the site. It makes me feel good to hear that uh, I've turned you guys on to something you really ended up enjoying. But I am loving this. Like, this weekend, like, I'm going to play this game. Um, well, I, I also love Hunt Showdown, by the way. I'll play it was with also you. great. 
Um, and jump on and play with me this weekend, man. I think you, yeah, if you give it, actually give it a little bit of a whirl, spend a little time with it, you'll enjoy it. And again, it's it's versatile. You don't have to play with the melee guy like I did. Like everybody has a gun, but my gun was essentially the shotgun that took forever to reload, so I didn't use it all that often. Um, but there are some characters that their primary weapon is a gun, or their primary attack is spells, and they're kind of the ranged people um, who can. And they're not like, hey, here's this bow. You need to fire one arrow to take out. It's kind of like um, Ash from League of Legends, where she has like one bow, but it fires like five Several or six arrows. arrows. Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, but I'm having a blast with this game, man. It is gory. It's an M-rated game. It's not for the faint of heart, and uh, the gore is extremely realistic. And because it is such a beautiful game, it has a little bit of an added impact, I think. But just the art and the vistas, like, there's lots of times where I just come up over a hill in this game and I'm like, whoa. Sweet. Like, at the beginning, I don't know if you saw, but there's, like, that huge field of grain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that type of foliage in this game is is prevalent. And some of the enemies are so small that you can't see them. You can, can you just see, see the grain Yes, moving? you just see the grain rustling. And That's it just, awesome. Yeah, it makes your heart, like, jump and you're like, oh, my gosh, where are they? Um yeah, you can see through the left there, like the foliage is, is really deep. But um, I'm having a blast with this. Like I said, I do have one extra beta code for this, and I will try to figure out a way to give away to one of you sifters. Don't take it if you don't have a PC, or you don't have a PC that can run a game that looks like this one, because you're just going to waste it. Or you're going to go sell it on G2A or whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that's my time with uh, Warhammer Vermintide 2. I've had a blast with it. Um, I highly recommend it, just based upon what I've played so far. And it's not even the finished game. We'll wait to see what the price is at. That could be a bit of a deterrent. But uh, I really love the first game. I like this one even more. It's certainly more pretty. And it seems to be a little better tuned for multiple players than the, than the first one was. So there you go. Vermintide cool. 2. That brings us to our trailer of the week, people. And it was another slow week in trailers. But today, we were saved by the bell. Which was a TV show that... Brought rear yeah. Brent into adulthood. By the way, have you seen that series on YouTube where they go and they... Zach Morris is a dick or whatever? Yes! Yeah, I just discovered it like a month ago. Oh my it gosh. is amazing. It's so cringy because I remember that stuff happening and being like, God, that wasn't very nice. And then he like really goes into like, no, 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 you don't understand how not nice Zach Morris is. It's and not like, even that. Like... It's that that show was insane. <laughs> like the first one I ever watched was Zach ran into a homeless girl that went to his <laughs> school. And the thing that's so funny about that, the way they do that ep that show is that they point out how absurd the show is. <laughs> and, like, the motivations for why he does stuff. Like, he meets this homeless girl, and then he offers, like, he, like, tries to put a move on her. Like, <laughs> go watch that. Is it is it BuzzFeed that does that? It's some big media company that or does like, that Or, like, uh, College Humor or somebody. It's one of yeah, those. Yeah, I can't remember who it is. Watch that show. It is freaking hilarious. Anyway, <laughs> we were saved by the bell by this little indie <laughs> game that was debuted today. It's called Carrion. Uh, it's by the developers who created a game called Butcher, which, as you might, a, might have guessed, is an extremely violent game. This game is also violent, but the twist is it's basically aliens where you are the alien. Except you're not an alien. You're this gelatinous blood mass. Sweet. Let's roll it.
So there you go. You're essentially like a blood clot. I want to play that. It looks sweet. <laughs> it does look sweet. Uh, somebody clarified in our chat, by the way, that Vermintide 2 is $30. So I nailed it just yeah, guessing. Right. Uh, which, I guess I'll have to see how much content's in the final game. That might be a little I mean, bit of One a... of the nice things about Left 4 Dead was you could buy like a four pack for like 60 or something. Yeah. Like they made it, they made it a good deal out of it if you had they some did. friends. Maybe they'll do the same sort of thing. Yeah. 30 bucks is maybe a little steep, but it, again, it depends on the content. But I mean, I don't know. That That's like a triple A game. Like those boss fights are no joke. They're a lot of fun. I don't know. Maybe it is worth 30 bucks. We'll see. Uh, let's get some questions. I forgot to mention before we threw to the trailer of the week that you guys should get your questions in. Uh, but some of you are just very well trained at this point anyway. Uh, here's one from The Legacy. What is your view on BT from Titanfall 2, the robot from Infinite Warfare, and Trico as companions? I liked them. Also, since you guys are looking for good indie games, try Celeste. I heard great things about it. The robot from Infinite Warfare I was not a big fan of. Which was the robot from Infinite Warfare? Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. I know, I swear I played it. Where... What was the... Oh, 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 I get it. Okay. No, I didn't care about him at all. Yeah. But I did it's like... It's hard to... I did impart... like the dude in Titanfall 2. Yeah, I did too. But it's very hard to make the player care about robots, I think. Yeah. It's just like you're a machine, bro. Like, if you break, we'll just fill you with some more oil and, like, fix a wire and you're good. Like, they haven't done a good job of humanizing, like, robots in games. I, I don't believe anyway. I mean, invariably, they're the ones that, like, sacrifice themselves for something, I and mean, it's... Yeah. Uh, and you're like, well, it's not like you got thanks. family at home yeah, and they're going to miss you. It's like, not like you count. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I think it's hard to humanize androids, cyborgs, robots. I don't know. It, unless your game is about AI being... Like Detroit. Yeah, it, unless it's about their right to live and, like, I, I mean, the, the concept of souls and, sh and stuff like that, right. where it's like... They, can, they don't have a soul, and it's like, well, I don't think we well, do Well, unless either, the whole so game is about fine. trying yeah. to humanize robots. Yeah, if, it, if it's about that, then that's fine. But, yeah. like, I don't know. Had It's funny, like, uh, I mentioned Dog from Half-Life, and it's like, you know, he counts to me because, he does, he's, a, yeah. because he's a dog. Yeah. Not because he's a robot. Right, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a robot that looks like a dog. Because he loved me. <laughs> Uh, here's a question from Otaf, directly related to what we were just talking about. Is $30 too much for multiplayer-only games? We have had examples of Overwatch and OG Titanfall being more than that, at least on console. What price do you think they should be? Should give away the Vermintide 2 on today's top score. Ah, that's a good call. Wouldn't PUBG's 30 bucks too, right? Yep. I mean, that seems kinda, to be the price. Hunt Showdown, 30 bucks multiplayer-only. Yeah, that, I think that's going to be the new... Standard. I don't know, I... It's half. I mean, like... It's half of... Wasn't Battlefront, like, 60? Like... Yeah, I mean, you're essentially paying, like, 30 bucks for the campaign in a lot of games. No, I mean, like, Battlefront 1, they didn't even have right, a campaign. Right, that right. was full yeah. release. So, like, <laughs> I think 30 is a much more reasonable price point. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, if you start thinking about value, what you're getting for each dollar spent, $30 for a multiplayer game that you end up getting really hooked on is, like, the best deal ever. Yeah. Because, look, there's a lot of people that buy Call of Duty every year and never even play the campaign or zombies. They get it just or vice to, versa. Right. And they get it just to play the multiplayer. And they're paying 60 bucks for that every year without fail. That's never going to change. Yeah. Um, so you start thinking about it. I mean, yeah, maybe 30 bucks is okay. If it's a game that you're going to get hooked on and addicted to, uh, I think once you do that, though, the whole prospect of 
loot boxes start to get a little dicey. Yeah, a little dicier. You have to think a lot harder about that at that point. But, and look, Vermintide 2 does have loot boxes. But from what I gathered, it wasn't like you were getting... And I've only played it to get enough to get, like, 10 loot boxes at this point or whatever. But it didn't seem to me like most of the stuff I was getting from loot boxes were game-changing things that would make me more powerful in battle. Yeah. Um, they they weren't even necessarily cosmetic though. Like they weren't hats and stuff like that. They were weapons. But if I looked at the weapon strength on them, they seemed to be pretty well balanced. But that's a slippery slope. It, yeah. I mean, they could start fiddling with that stuff. Where hey, here's this new halberd that for whatever reason does like an extra ten percent damage, and yeah. the internet figures it out. And everybody buys it. It's just like I've talked about before with League of Legends. Like they launch a new champ. The champ is always OP. Everybody buys a champ, then they nerf it. So that they balance the game before it ever gets put into an LCS or competition. So, right. Um, anytime there's loot boxes, there's the, the possibility of something like that happening. It's just the way it is. Um, but so far, what I've seen in the loot boxes in Vermintide 2, I've, they've not been egregious. So, yeah, I guess 30 bucks is, I think we're saying that's okay. As long as it's good. As long as it's a multiplayer that gets you hooked. Yeah, I mean, the, the premise of a multiplayer game is you play forever, so it's kind of like, well, whatever value you put is easy to defend. Like, I haven't seen too many people complaining about 30 bucks for PUBG. No, but they also have loot boxes now, too, with the key system and shit, too. I have a feeling that that game, if, To when, be fair, it's all cosmetic. Yeah. And, I don't know, you... I actually really like the way they've done loot boxes where the, the pricing resets every week. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. Um, so there's a benefit to like, oh, if I can't play much, like at least I'll play enough to get the one loot box this week. Yeah, and like, yeah it's a good idea. Get my free brown shirt again. Right. You know, but like a chance <laughs> at something cool. Yeah, yeah. I would not be surprised if, when, if it comes out for PS4 and they've kind of <laughs> squeezed that turnip for all it's worth if the game goes free to play. No, I don't think so. You don't people think are... it'll ever go free to play? No, not when people are going to pay thirty bucks for it. I but people are stopping paying thirty bucks for it though. That's the thing. Like uh, I don't know. I think it would be a very bad thing for the game. Actually, like one of the like the cheaters is the biggest issue with the game on PC, and you know they go through and ban like millions of people, and then they just go buy it again because they're making more selling their cheats and stuff like that. But like. If you do that, all of a sudden, they just have another free-to-play copy, and so, like, you never get rid of the cheating. So what you're saying is, the right now, the $30 barrier keeps the cheating to... At least somewhat limited. Yeah. But isn't it really on PUBG Corp to make a game that people can't cheat in? Yes. <laughs> so isn't really the answer, though, that. them to improve their code? No, it's, of... it's, pretty clearly, it's pretty clear that the, the core... Uh, I shoot this gun and it hits that guy system is client side instead of being server side, which is absolutely that's a big mistake. Um, That's where it's coming from. There will always be like aimbots and stuff, but like people being able to teleport, like what in the world? How is that a thing that you're not checking for on the server side? Because it was uh, an indie game built built by one dude. Because it was just like a very small team. Um, It's kind of like uh, you think about like an old website like IGN. For example, like it was built back in like the 90s and that's its foundation. You know, it was built on that tech from the 90s. So IGN has had problems. It's it's fine now. But there was a period of like eight years there where they were trying to transition from that old backbone, that old admin over to create, make an IGN a modern website. And it was bad. Yeah. Like they just could not get it over the hump. And I'm, I'm guessing they eventually probably just completely replatformed or something. 
and had to migrate all that stuff over. But games are the same way. It's like you build it on this foundation and this is a code that it has. And it's like, so what do you do? You take it down while you completely revamp it. A lot of times you get kind of caught in between there a little bit. So I don't know for a fact that that's what happened here, but... But I mean, even games like Counter-Strike, which have been no, just more or less like permanently out, it yeah. has cheats and stuff. It's just... Uh, Valve has put a lot of effort into finding those cheats. Yeah. And that's but something like, PUBG is going to have to do as well. PUBG is just... I mean, like, I guess it's been out for a year now, but like... Has it been a year? It feels wow. it feel it still feels young just because they've been growing yeah, at yeah, such absolutely. a ridiculous yeah. pace. So like they just they have grown faster than they are able to take care of for the cheats. Maybe and, they like, need to stop getting, worrying about adding it. content to it, and they need to focus more on fixing what's there. I, I think they have hired so many people yeah. that like maybe they can they do, can both, do both of those yeah. things, and like uh, a lot of software development is. I have to use this this analogy all the time at work but like nine moms cannot have a baby in one month like some <laughs> things just take nine months and right. there's no way around it yeah, sorry yeah. so like if you need there there is a maximum amount of people that can work on redoing that hit code or whatever throwing money or people at that problem will not make it happen any faster actually throwing people at it more often than not will slow it down you need to throw a couple really good people at it yeah and yeah. then just get it done yeah we'll see uh, I mean, it, it has been getting better, so I'm hoping that that, that sticks. Uh, here's Case Money. There are some ambitious PC MMORPGs in development. Do you think there is still a market for them to succeed? This guy... You still play MMORPGs. All the time, man. Matt, actually, Matt does too. I don't play him at all. I've never been a fan of that genre. Yeah, I... What ones are you looking forward to? Is there anything on your radar right now? Uh, no, not at all. I don't even know what's coming out, so I'm a bad person to ask. But like, whenever they do come out, I'll definitely check them out. Like, well, I I, you know, you. like Let's I've been this, we can go to the site, right? I've been really big in. into like Eve and Warcraft and Final Fantasy XIV, like all of those guys. So like, and it's not like any of those games are hurting. Here's something you can only find on Sifted: an entire channel dedicated to MMORPGs, and we'll see if there's anything there. Well, Terra is coming to consoles. Nope. There's like nothing. <laughs> World of Warcraft, I mean, Ashes of Creation. There'll be another World of Warcraft this year. Warframe. Final Fantasy XIV. Right. And now we're back. Feb this is February 1st. So there's not a lot of con Ashes of Creation again. World of Warcraft, EVE Online. Closers. There's one, but that looks well, like it's from Japan. Head back to the chat. What's what's he talking about? That's coming. That's exciting. Um, he doesn't, I don't know. It's he doesn't list any examples. Case money. Give us some uh, some examples of what you're talking about. To answer your question, there's definitely a market for it. Yeah. I mean, even do you think World it's a War dwindling market? No, I just think it's spreading out. Like yeah. World of Warcraft doesn't have what 15 million subscribers anymore. It probably has like. Seven or eight, though. Yeah. That's a lot, man. Yeah, it is. That's that is a lot of people to pay 15 bucks a month. <laughs> yep. And then every, money two, in the bank. then every two years pay 60 bucks again for the new thing. Like, yeah. there's a lot going on there. And then, like, Eve does fine for itself by just being kind of a smaller scale thing. And Final Fantasy XIV is 
by all accounts, doing really well. I mean, well. it had its probably its best year ever last year. Yeah. I mean, if you talk to people who are into its it, its expansions like, are great. Yeah, the last one I I think I read somewhere it was like the best like expansion to an MMORPG like ever, which is saying a lot. There's been a lot of MMORPG expansions. Yeah. Um, Goji Gogo, Brent, any thoughts on Sega bass fishing? <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. You said you really like fishing and games. So earlier. I don't like. Fishing games. I like fishing, <laughs> fishing in, in games. other games. Um, Fair I realized that was a little. <laughs> That's great. I wasn't as specific as I should have been. <laughs> uh, let's but Monster see. Hunter World has great fishing. Does it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know why you would ever do it. There's really no reason to. When you could spend your time hunting a monster, right? Yeah. But like, it's, it's there. there, and it's. <laughs> It's fishing, man, and like you can run around and find the different fish. And, like you can actually see them in the water, so you yeah. like actually cast towards them and stuff. Oh, I, don't know. I, I like it. Wow. Well, there you go. Pro tip. But Come it's right. it's not an efficient way to get anything done in that game. Just go hunt monsters. <laughs> uh, here's one from Bloop G. I think that's how you're supposed to say it. That's how Pac says it when he asks questions. <laughs> uh, what game has teach you in real life ability, learning a language, learning history, etc. So I'm thinking he's probably riffing off of the recent Discovery Tour expansion to Assassin's Creed Origins. That's my guess, anyway. Oh, Edutainment. The, the education thing? Yeah. Has any game taught you a language or anything valuable? Uh, I mean, I've had games make me look stuff up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Deus Ex Machina made me look up what the hell Deus Ex Machina meant <laughs> in, in 1998 or whatever, you yeah. know? I, I learned what that was. Um I mean, I think Assassin's Creed has, in all honesty, like, had me going on Google, like, Googling stuff to figure out, like, what was historic, historically accurate, what wasn't. Um, oh, I know a lot of historical gun names just from just all of gaming. Like, oh, yeah. No, that's a good point. So people Call of Duty has taught me a lot like, about weapons. <laughs> I'm like, oh, hey, that's a Styrog. Sweet, yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, Call of Duty has taught me a lot about did, guns. Did you know that's $4,300 <laughs> in Counter-Strike? You know. <laughs> that's funny. Uh... Eternal Darkness taught me a fake language. Did you play Eternal Darkness? Uh -uh. So you had like you could build your own spells in that game. So you get runes, and then you'd stack them in order, and then it would create a spell. And every time you cast that spell, it would like say each rune like Paragon, Argon, Lygon. <laughs> I don't know if that's what you're talking about. What was it like? <laughs> 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 uh, let's see. Uh, Danny Endurance, are you going to bust out the PlayStation VR headset for Moss on Tuesday? Things are so damn dry, I just might. Do it. <laughs> and he says dust off. It literally dust off. Like, at first this year, I was going to start using, like, VR to get in shape. Um, but then I realized the way my living room is set up, like, we have... So we have, like, our TV against the wall with an entertainment center underneath it. And there's, like, seven feet and then the couch. And... The way the PlayStation I works for games that will actually get you into shape, you need to be like way far away, and I need to be able to see your whole body with the move controller. So uh. I would have to like pull the eye out, like put it on like the couch or the ottoman facing the rest of the living room, <laughs> and I would have to be standing like Face perpendicular, yeah, to the TV to do it. I just haven't done it. So uh, Moss, it seems you can just sit there and play it, and it does look like one of the more robust. Uh, games that have been available for PlayStation VR. So I do have my eye on it. Uh, I'm not going to commit to playing it just yet, though. though one of my uh, best desperate friend... times call for desperate measures. One of my best friends growing up did all the audio for it. Really? So, yeah. Oh, interesting. Wow. I uh, met their, I met their like, 
their boss guy and stuff. They're all super nice. So uh, let's Buy see. It. We'll answer a couple more. Um, from Vox91, when do you think, if ever, will there be a breaking point for microtransactions in AAA or big-budget games? I think we may be at it. I mean, like, yeah, I think we're there. We're hitting the limits of what people are willing to accept, especially I mean, for non-cosmetic stuff. I mean, I think the breaking point was Battlefront 2. I mean, yeah. when the fan uprising, the internet furor, basically made it sell a, a little over half of what the game before did. And it was a much better game... And it had a campaign, which the first one didn't have. Yeah. I Although, mean, to be fair, the campaign's not very good. I enjoyed it. It's not great, though. I it, mean, is, it is not what I was... I was, like. I think Battlefield 1 has a great campaign. Like, it's short, but, like, it's sweet. And, like, I'm totally fine with that method of game making. Battlefield... Or Battlefront 2, like, uh, it just, like, keeps going with, like, boring shootouts. And I'm just like... I. This is Star Wars, and you made it boring. Like, what in the world? <laughs> I still enjoyed the time I spent with it. It wasn't, it wasn't like the best campaign I played last year. It wasn't even probably in the top twenty campaigns that I played last year. Maybe even not thirty. But and I still enjoyed playing it. It was Star <laughs> it's Wars. Far down there, man. I play a lot of games, Brent. I know. <laughs> a lot of games and a lot of good games too. I'm fortunate that I can tend to just pick and choose and play the really good stuff. So I, I enjoyed the campaign, I, but I agree with you. I, I was bummed. All right, last one. Uh, Super Cordon Blue. What do you guys think about the Magic Leap Mixed Reality headset? I'm not even sure what that is. Oh, you aren't? No. Uh, I think it's a farce. I think you know, they it, exist. <laughs> it does exist. Like they technically just had. I think Shaq was wearing it on like some show. It was the first time it was really like shown in public. There have been a couple. Images leaked out from the company from people who worked there, and those images basically it was a headset, and you had a backpack that you wore around. Wow, they have billions of dollars. Like they have received more funding than you could even fathom. It's like Star Citizen level, but Star Citizen actually like has something to <laughs> Star show. Star Citizen, but add a zero. So like Magic Leap right now, like the word around like the industry is that it's just all a big facade, and that like the the head of Magic Leap has taken all the money because the people who are working there aren't getting paid that much. And so it's another case of, like, hey, where did all that money go? Like, the System Shock remaster. Like, yeah. dude, they had, like, $2 million, and they burned through it already and don't have any more money? Like, dude, that what's going on there is people are like, hey, I'm big developer guy, and I'm used to getting paid big developer money. And so we got $2 million. I'm taking my usual salary out of that $2 mil. That's not how it works. It's yeah. like... If I had started Sifted thinking I was going to make the same money I was making at Viacom, it would have literally lasted like two weeks. Yeah. Like, that's not even an exaggeration. <laughs> it would have lasted like two weeks. So when you start doing stuff like this, you strike out on your own, you want to do something, you got to make sacrifices. You can't just go in there and be like, yeah, we're going to make what we would make if we were working at Warner Brothers. That's not how it works. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, this typical startups, or a lot of startups are that way, and that's how a lot of startups fail. When you get funded. Yeah. Yeah. They just are like, well, this is what I should get paid, and this is what I'm going to get paid, and if not, I'm going to leave. And instead, they stay, and they soak up all that money, and there's not enough to go around for everybody else. And then you end up with stuff like the the System Shock remaster, where it's like projects not even half finished, and they've already burned through all the crowdfunding money. So, yeah, uh, I think Magic Leap is is bordering on being like one of the most legendary like pieces of vaporware hardware ever. They haven't really shown anything other than putting out these little augmented reality videos on like their Twitter page or whatever. Like, and they have burned 
serious money. The thing is, though, is if it does end up being real, it could absolutely be a game changer because what they're shooting for and what it does is absolutely incredible if they could actually get it to work and it's actually portable and it's not like you're carrying around like 40 pounds of gear on your back. Right. But that's been the problem so far is they cannot get the form factor down to a place where it's really ready for consumers. So the idea is that or it's, it's like... It's cost like two grand or whatever. You know, the idea of it is that it's not... It's supposed to be HoloLens for the rest of us, basically. Yeah. And so far, they've pretty much struck out and they've spent a ton of money and people are wondering like what the hell's going on. And they're wondering if it's like a scam at this point. So... I hope not, man. Like, I really like the idea of AR. I want to. I want to wear Hololens glasses. Yeah. I want that. I want shit. a Hololens. I, Hololens looks freaking awesome. I'm just not sure we're ready, man. I yeah. think. You, I think it's in too much. like. I think in five, ten years, your phone will be the driver for it, and it'll just connect, and that'll be that. But like, probably these standalone things, I don't think are the answer. Those like, mixed reality ever, headsets, they're all coming out at like four hundred bucks, like. Um, was it Lenovo's or someone's that just came out this week? It's just like, bro, you're yeah, gonna, gonna die. Yeah. Nobody wants this. Like all the R and D you put into this, like, it, who are running these companies? Who? Just people who are ignorant to what reality is. I guess they're just like, we need something to show at CES every year. I know. Right? I mean, that's really kind of what it comes down CES to. CES bait. <laughs> we need to get people into our booths to look at our laptop. So. Let's dump like a hundred million into this R and D for this dumbass helmet that we're gonna make. Whatever. So that's it for uh, Game Face One Eighteen. Brent, great episode, brother. That was fun. I had a blast. Hope you guys did did as well. Um, I'm not giving up on our new show, by the way. I'm trying to figure out what we need to do with it because I know the show can work. The first episode I thought was really great. If you haven't watched the archive on Sifted yet, uh, go do it. The problem is it does rely on participation. So I'm thinking about maybe streaming for the first time ever on YouTube. That could be, yeah. It makes me very, very nervous to stream on YouTube. So uh, you'd stream on both or you'd switch to YouTube? Well, we can't. Our TriCaster, it can stream on anything, but it can't stream on two places at the same time. Okay. So I'd have to pick or choose. But, you know, we have like 15,000 subscribers on YouTube. And with a show that needs to be driven by people who are actually tuning in live... I think it might have a chance to do much better on that service than it does on Twitch. Because we have like 2,000 subscribers on Twitch. So um, I'm going to figure it out. The show's not going away because I think the first episode, other than the technical issues and the hurdles that I got over and was totally prepared to nail yesterday. <laughs> you guys didn't show up to see it. Uh, I think the show, the production and the qualities is already going to be much better. And the discussion was great in the first episode. So I'm not going to give up, but uh, stay tuned to our Twitter, to sifted.net, and we'll let you know where it's going to go up next. Um, one thing is I'll be sure of next time is to promote it well beforehand. Because uh, I think one mistake I made was assuming that the same way we get enough people to watch Game Face, that would work for today's high score as well. Um, and it doesn't because people see Game Face, they're like, I know what that is. I'm going to go watch it. Right. And when that popped up in people's. Eventually like, you'll get there. Yeah. So, anyway, we're not giving up. I put too much work into this show to just give up after one episode. So, even as salty as I am over that a second episode of coming all the way in here for nothing, I'm not giving up. I put too much into it. And I think you guys will like it and enjoy being a part of it. So, I think that's it. On behalf of Brent, myself, Sam the Man, Game Face is up and out. <laughs> Thank you.